Are we, are we good to go? Kurt, you ready? All set. Mm -hmm. Cool, he's always prepared. All right. Uh, do you want to do the preamble first? Yes. Uh, thanks, everyone, uh, for joining us tonight for our MMTC meeting here. Uh, we have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. Uh, the meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting is disabled. All chats will go directly to staff. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send us a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. And, yep, turn it back over to cool. you. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the November 6th edition of the MMTC monthly meeting. As always, we start with our 5 o'clock study session. And this one in particular is going to be going over the first public draft, I think, of the Climate Action Plan, which Damon has been sitting on the steering committee of for a while now. And um, it's here for our re review. So hopefully you guys got a chance to read it at least a little bit and um, come prepare with discussion questions. But I have a feeling you're going to, Jamie's probably going to lead us through it first, right? That's right. Yep. Oh. They're at Go least in. the mobility section. I'm going to give some yeah. background and then get into the section that interests you guys the most, I think. Okay. Should we do quick introductions or do you just want to? Oh, that would right be great. <laughs> okay. Yeah, please. Just in case you don't know. Mm -hmm. Anybody is. So I'm Nick Kuzmiak. I'm the chair of MMTC. been on the board for, I don't remember, four years maybe? Five? I don't know. Um, and chair most of the time, it seems. So um, that's it, I guess. Damien. Hi, Hi Dave. Uh, I've been on this commission since uh, maybe late 2019. Or... No, no, no. I was going to A couple years. A couple years. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm Sean. Uh, I've been on this committee for six months. Okay. I'm still learning. Great. So, nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm in a so admin. <laughs> okay. okay. I'm Pat Collette, and I've been on the commission for about two and a half years. Great. Nice to meet you. I'm Ed Aidlot, and I've been on here for about four months. All right. Oh. Great. Hey, I'm Jake Baldwin. <laughs> I'm an engineer with the city. All right. Nice. And Dave Cronin, staff liaison. Great, nice to meet all of you guys. Can we, can yeah. you want to, can I say your name? <laughs> I'm Kathy Richardson. I'm the Director of Sustainability for the City of Lawrence. And you're Director for the County then, right? Yeah, okay. so I, I'm Jamie Hoffling, and I work uh, as the Sustainability Impact Analyst for the Douglas County Sustainability Office. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming yeah. here, and look, looking forward to seeing what is going on with the, the draft. Yeah. And how we can help. Good. All right. So I'm going to go up to the podium so that I can right. run through the plan. Um, and the mic just... <coughs> it just automatically start working. Okay. All right. It's actually my first time getting to make a presentation in here, so at least in a while. <laughs> All right. So um, I want to start by just giving a tiny bit of background about sustainability, about the sustainability office. Um, back when we first started working on the climate action plan, um, it, we were a joint office. So we were um, both Douglas County and City of Lawrence sustainability. And uh, since then, we, we did have a split, um, a very uh, cordial split. <laughs> um, it, was, uh, it was just by, um, something that's been happening and kind of across joint offices within Douglas County and the City of Lawrence. Um, 
So uh, nothing really out of the ordinary about that. And we've been working together uh, since then as well. I wish I could still see everybody. With <laughs> I'm so <laughs> short that. <laughs> you can lower um, the podium. Ah. It is going down. There we go. Sit stand. It's not getting caught. Okay. Great. Oh, that's so much better. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, and you guys all got to meet Kathy if you didn't already know her. Um, we, our offices work very closely together on all kinds of programs, including Common Ground, the Community Garden Program, if you guys are familiar with that, and the Climate Action Plan is another example of, of our unified programs that have continued since the split. Um, and that happened in 2022, so that was last August of 2022. And then our office was directed to write a climate action plan from Plan 2040. I'm sure you guys are all very familiar with Plan 2040. Um, and then there's also a regional climate action plan that was written for the Kansas City region. And they did include Douglas County and Lawrence in that plan as well. So there was a climate vulnerability assessment that was done that includes our region or includes our city and our office and um, kind of helped set the stage for climate action to take place. Uh, 2040 uh, not only asked for a climate action plan, but also adaptation. So asked us to look at mitigating greenhouse gas emissions in Lawrence and Douglas County, um, but also adapting to it at the same time. So <clears throat> adapting to the changes that we're seeing with climate change. Um, so to kind of set a little bit more of the stage of the climate action plan or the climate action adaptation plan that we're now calling ADAPT Douglas County. Um, we did a lot of a community outreach before we ever even put pen to paper. So we didn't start writing the plan until much later. First we started by doing focus groups and interviews with the community to really find out how are people being impacted on a daily basis right now. What are people thinking about climate change? Where are their minds? Uh, what do they want to really see come of a plan like this? So we started there and then we went back and started writing a green, doing a greenhouse gas inventory so we could find out what our actual emissions were. We wanted to know what is our community putting out in the atmosphere that's contributing to climate change. So those two components were brought together to um, write the strategies and the goals for this plan. Um, and we have a, obviously a steering and staff committee and Damon serves on the steering committee. I did want to give you a chance, Damon, to say a little something about your involvement in the steering committee, if you don't mind. Yeah. Um it was set up, we met monthly, usually. Um, we represented kind of like the latest and greatest, and we'd have an opportunity to, you know, give live thoughts and feedback and questions. Um, and then Jamie also set up a Google Doc, um, which is a way for us to, you know, once we have a draft going, a way to interact with it and provide feedback that way, which I thought was great. Someone, mm -hmm. someone who needs a little bit more time to like read and digest and give thought to my feedback. I thought that was really helpful. Um, and then we had a couple of live meetings too, a great one at Lawrence Public Library. Um, we're kind of broken into small groups and really just kind of interrogated the, the goals and the strategies to uh, try and just boil them down to as concise and potent as possible. Um, but yeah, now I'm really happy to bring it to the full MMTC table because uh, it's hard to represent the whole commission when it's just me, you know, on there. So I'm happy mm -hmm. to get you guys' feedback here now. Is that it? 
Great, thank you. Yeah, and there were a lot of meetings like that, um, like what Damon's talking about, where there were a lot of discussion about how can we align with other goals and other plans that are out there in the county and the city. Um, I keep mentioning the county because it's really important to keep in mind that this is not just a city of Lawrence plan, that this is meant to be countywide. Uh, so we're trying to reflect all the voices and all of the different perspectives across the county. So that includes LeCompton, Eudora, Baldwin City, and the unincorporated areas of Douglas County. And uh, we did that through those staff meetings, uh, through the steering committee, um, and also the focus groups um, that we hosted across the county. So we had those in those respective cities so that we could really hear those individual voices and the collective voices to make sure that we could reflect them as much as possible in the plan. So um, how many of you guys have had a chance to really look at a little bit of the plan just to kind of see what, what's there? Yeah, Nick, you've looked at it, okay. And does everybody have it up on, I, I've got it here on the screen. I'm gonna pull it up here. Um, here in just a second, there we go. And uh, try to, I'm gonna attempt to orient you guys in the plan so that you know kind of what you're looking at and then um, see what kind of, how you guys wanna be involved in it. Um, obviously your feedback, just reviewing it and giving feedback on what you see in the plan is great. Um, but if you, wanted, if you wanted to help with outreach, um, we can also work on that as well. We've got several open houses scheduled uh, for this month of November during this public outreach session or this uh, public outreach uh, period. Okay, and yeah. Share your Zoom screen, please. Yes. Green button at the bottom. There we go. Perfect. There we go. Thank you. All right. Okay, so when you open uh, the draft up, this is the first page that you see. It's a welcome. It talks a little bit about what informed the plan, uh, the things that I've mentioned, um, the staff, the steering, the focus groups, and the interviews. That I, I didn't mention a survey, but there was a community survey that was also done um, that we got 544 results on. Um, there were other community um, climate plans that were consulted with, so we looked at a lot of different climate plans that are out there, as well as all of the, as many as possible from the county and the city. And then if you scroll down, um, you guys are welcome to use this feature here, the, the QR code that's on the screen. You can use that to provide feedback. You can also just email me directly if you'd like, um, whatever works best for you. And also if you're sharing this draft with others, you can encourage them to use the survey. This is the table of contents. I'm not gonna go into a changing climate. That really is, shuts the, the whole background about what climate change is. I'm, I'm gonna assume that a lot of you guys probably, are, or maybe everybody knows what climate change is. Um, the local impacts are largely um, a reference from the climate vulnerability assessment that I mentioned earlier that's done by the region. Um, so that when you get into that, you'll see, you can see a little bit more in detail of what we were looking at and what we're trying to address. <clears throat> but I wanted to draw your attention to the greenhouse gas inventory and targets. Some Scroll down here for a second. Okay, I wanted to point this out because I know all of you are working in transportation uh, and um, just to point out that 27% uh, of our greenhouse gas emissions are coming from the transportation sector. So there's a lot of opportunity there to curb our greenhouse gas emissions and really look at strategies that will help mitigate climate change but also adapt to it. Another question on this yeah. one. So I only very recently learned about the distinction between, I think it's through the EPA, it was like scope one, scope two, scope three, like the, the different ways that you can emit. So one is like obviously direct emissions of gas, whether it be carbon dioxide from exhaust, methane from leaks, you know, 
-hmm. Stuff that you can easily measure, well, sort of. And then uh, scope two is like electricity, right? And um, maybe some other stuff too, but it's like, it's emissions, but you don't see the emissions. They happen somewhere else. And then there's scope three, which is like chemicals and transportation. And that's usually, we're not quite there. It seems like in most life cycle assessments, but Mm-hmm. Does this include, include scope two stuff, or is it just... This is scope one, yeah. Okay. So we, we do have a, a power plant right here in Lawrence, and we didn't look at everything that they produce. Instead, mm-hmm. we looked at what, it was, what was consumed. So it would be scope one. Yeah, everything, everything consumed on residential energy, commercial energy. We did have uh, fugitive emissions, which would be those leaks that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, as much as we could measure in scope one. Wait, so if, if there was electricity used that was produced at the Evergy plant, then that was counted then? That, oh. Right, counted by consumption. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay, for some reason I thought that was scope two, so that's still scope one, just any energy. I believe so. I guess I'm not, I'm not an expert on that, but um, yeah, I know there was okay. a difference between production and consumption, so I thought that's maybe what you're referring to. Um, I, don't I, I don't know all the lingo just yet. So. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, so we were primarily, we were only looking at consumption energy that was used. Okay, so like if the energy plant produced something that was sent to Kansas City, not our... Stuff. Right. Okay. Even though those emissions are here in our community. That's right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Um, yeah. And we're trying to look at what we can, where we can, what levers we can pull here. What, what can we actually do as a community? And um, we can't obviously do as much in Kansas City. We can try to advocate for cleaner energy at the state level, but primarily we're looking at what we can do as a local government. Mm-hmm. And that's what we measured. And you can see a little bit more of that detail here. Oh, I forgot to mention that we did uh, a baseline of 2021. That's the year that we used for uh, measuring those emissions. So um, if you look at, you can look down at the breakdown of each of these different sectors that we measured. And then we take out uh, forest and trees. Right now, uh, Douglas County has about 20% uh, tree coverage, and um, that's forests and trees. So that's individual trees, and that's a collection. Of, the forest is referring to a collection of trees. And uh, we can actually reduce our emissions, obviously, by sequestering that, that carbon through those forests and trees. So trees take in that carbon just through photosynthesis, a very natural process that happens. And so we can reduce our emissions by almost 10%, or actually a little bit more than 10%, 151,000 um, of our emissions. Is there any way to calculate the contribution of non-tree photosynthesis or like the Baker wetlands? That's a great question. And we, you're not the first person who's asked. That's good. And uh, yeah, we have a lot of people that recognize the importance of the prairies and the wetlands and um, that, that we don't actually have a way to do that right now, but we're working on that. And that's something that we are trying to put into the plan when we get into the implementation side is how can we measure how much coverage is uh, green outside of just forests and trees? So, yep, definitely looking at that. That's a great question. The yes. number can only go. <laughs> What's the unit of measurement? Yeah, it's, um, it should be on here. I was actually kind of surprised that it wasn't. It's, um, let me give it to you exactly. I, it's not something I have publicly talked about enough to be able to just rattle it off. That's per CO2. It's in, t- yeah, it, right. Can you say it out loud? So. <laughs> Tons? Well, it is in tons, but it's the co- CO2 equivalent? The CO2 equivalent. Okay. Yeah, in tons. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I realize that's missing from this slide, and it should be there. 
Um, this also talks a little bit about the targets that we're trying to work toward. So um, there's several different actions. Mobility, this, the mobility section, which reflects the transportation area, is a big area where we can see a lot of actions take place. Um, we're striving to get to 38.5% uh, reduction in our emissions, and that's really only uh, um, about the recommendation is that wealthier nations and um, uh, cities and counties try to work more towards 60%. Uh, 50% is what we need to get down to in order to not um, get uh, <laughs> go too far. You guys are probably pretty familiar with what they've been talking about, the Paris Climate Agreements and the, the IPCC, the International Panel on Climate Change. Uh, they're calling for a much greater reduction, but we're looking at what we can actually achieve here, and it, we're, uh, with our actions that we have in this plan, it's closer to 38.5%. If the grid was to decarbonize, we could get much higher. We could get a much higher reduction. This here shows uh, what, what we looked at at baseline. So 2021, what we had in our emissions, broken down by sector. We just did the top three here, residential, transportation, and commercial. And then if we didn't do anything at all, just because of industry standards and energy efficiency standards, there would be a little bit of a drop. We would start to see 25, about 25% change. With the actions that we're presenting in this plan, it's 38.5%. So you can see how each one of these comes down. Transportation is represented in the teal color. Okay, so now I'm gonna go ahead and go down here to how to read the plan. So it's broken, all the actions and the, the goals and the strategies are broken down into four different sections. We have energy, powering where we live, work and play, mobility, moving around the community safely and efficiently, living systems, balancing land uses, ecosystems and natural functions, thriving community, nurturing health and resilience across the county. So those are the four different sections that we have. Each one of them have co-benefits. So there's, there, there are benefits beyond just mitigating climate change. There, there's a lot of intersecting benefits that come from these different goals and strategies, and those are indicated in each section. Uh, we have equity considerations that are coming. So that's not quite in the plan yet. We do have somebody that we're hiring that's a consultant that's gonna help us flush those out. And then there are, um, because we weren't able to cover every single topic in, in its own individual chapter, we um, went ahead and put in here where you could find different things. So if you're looking for agriculture and food, that's not, a, that's not a section all on its own, but it can be found in living systems and thriving community, for example. There's a couple other uh, common, more popular topics listed there as well. All right. So um, here's where we get into each of the each of the different sections. I'm going to scroll down to mobility and kind of walk you guys through this particular section. So this is the one that's moving around the community safely and efficiently. There were um, lots of different stressors and opportunities that we heard in those focus groups and the other community outreach that we did. Uh, stress on workers and infrastructure and extreme conditions, access to daily needs or travel of essential goods and emergencies, vehicle pollution impacting youth and other vulnerable populations, travel discomfort, delays or obstacles in extreme weather, travel accessibility and hazardous or disruptive conditions. 
And then this little box down here at the bottom shows some of the different plans that we consulted to look for alignment with. And uh, some of those are um, obviously T2050, and I know some of you guys served on that steering committee as well. Uh, safe routes to schools, um, Baldwin City, Eudora, and Lawrence's. There's a countywide bike plan that we uh, looked at. Um, we looked at the intelligent transportation system plan, the Lawrence pedestrian plan, and then there were some other ones as well. Here is the greenhouse gas inventory uh, repeated here. And uh, what we're looking at for actions to reduce, uh, reduce the emissions that come from uh, the mobility section. And uh, we're looking at, the very obvious one is reduction in vehicle miles traveled. So that's moving people away from um, cars and more into other modes of transportation, walking, biking, wheeling. Um, we're looking at 10% over time reduction in, the, in vehicle miles traveled. And then in addition to that, um, electric vehicle adoption as well, so about 16% over time. And that's between the um, year 2021 and 2030. That's the year that we're going out to. And that would uh, bring down the emissions for just the transportation section alone by 32%. This is probably gonna betray my ignorance of just how electric cars are more efficient, but if the electricity is being made at the Evergy plant and that's still counted in the inventory, Right. Does that reduce emissions, I guess. Yeah, it reduces emissions um, as the those plants become more uh, renewable, and um, there are there are plans to decarbonize more and more. Right now, Evergy is looking at about thirty percent reduction or thirty percent decarbonization, okay. and that will only increase over time. Okay. So. so the assumption then is that the electricity is not necessarily coming from here, but from probably further afield. But from uh, in renewable sources. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I was also wondering, is the are the Percentages put forth, what's the, um, I guess, the background on those numbers, 10% and 16%? Yeah, you wanted the background on those yeah. numbers? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Um, so we worked with uh, a third-party consultant, um, ICLEI, on, on these numbers, and they, these are goals that they um, recommended to us. Okay. Did they explain the justification? Like, this is something that somebody could actually do? Yes, like, that's what it comes from. And yeah, sorry, I don't have a better answer than that. Okay. Um, but yes, they were recommendations from ICLEI and their research on what's possible. Okay. Cool. Any other questions on the reduction targets or the inventory itself? I think it'd be useful to know a little bit more. Like, <clears throat> you know, setting goals are great, but if the audience doesn't understand if they're even reasonable, it just opens up possibility for questions and doubt in the plan. Mm -hmm. So if there's any evidence that could be inserted in this, that could be really yeah, that's helpful. A great, that's a great suggestion, yeah. So adding in a little bit more about the background of where these targets come from and right. how they're feasible. Mm -hmm. That's great, yeah. Like what is it contingent on? Is it contingent on shifting our mode to transit or what? What's the thinking behind this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hopefully um, looking at the goals and strategies will kind of start to answer that. Um, but let me know if, if it doesn't appear to be that way. And maybe they need to be up there a little bit more explained. Because you're actual. suggesting this is possible in the next seven years. Yeah, uh, that's, Six years. that's what we're aiming for. Yeah. It seems pretty um, impressive if we can do it. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think you're right. I think we need to have a little bit more of an explanation there to kind of show where 
what is truly possible and, and how, how we can get there. And, but that is what we're aiming to do with, the, with these individual goals and the strategies that go underneath them. So for example, the, the very first goal is about reducing or enabling low carbon modes of transportation while improving access to everyday needs so, so people can continue to go to work and do what they need to do, um, but do it in ways that are <clears throat> low carbon. Uh, so, and these are things that you guys are all working on here in, in this commission, and there are lots of other groups I know working on trying to improve the, the roads to make it more possible for people to bike, ride, wheel, and uh, use other modes of transportation. So this one just it, it reinforces that. And uh, we're looking at uh, better densification, so looking at the 15-minute city components. If you guys have heard of those, it's an urban planning component. Um, and recommending that that be used in, in long-range planning. Um, looking at locally relevant parking management. So these are things that are also showing up in the Lawrence Development Code and other cities are looking at this too. Um, how can we improve parking management so that we're, again, encouraging and not discouraging people from biking and walking and wheeling. Um, and then uh, incorporating alternate alternate travel ways or paths for walking and biking in unincorporated areas. So we want to make sure we're, again, using that county lens, uh, looking beyond just the city of Lawrence. Um, and then uh, the electric vehicles and electric bicycles. Uh, actually, this was one I think, Damon, I think you were the one that recommended the promote incentives and rebates for the purchase of e-bikes. Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, yeah, we're trying to do more than just the electric vehicles, also looking at other modes as well. Any questions about any of these so far? I had a couple. Yeah, um, go ahead. Sorry. Um, okay, <clears throat> let's see. Question was okay. Um, was there any discussion on sort of stick approach versus carrot approach? It seems like everything is make the other things more available, but there's not a lot of talk of make the things that are causing the problem less easy or more expensive or harder mm. to do. I mean, I can understand the issue, you know, with equity concerns, especially in the present, where everybody is pretty much completely car dependent. But I don't know. I'd I'd like to hear you guys sort of in insight on how those conversations went, or if there was sort of considered. Maybe they were too harsh for a plan like this. Yeah, and this was the this is the very first climate action plan for Douglas County, and um, we really meant for it to be a, a place, a starting place. And um, yeah, so I, I I hear you, and I, I we did look at much. We, we definitely did whittle this down quite a bit. It did start much more detailed and had a lot more of that in there, and we we decided to kind of move more towards a more friendly approach with it. I'd be curious to hear what didn't make the cut. Not mm. to mention that. Like, what was almost on there and like, nah, this isn't really the time for it yet. Yeah. Uh, wow. I don't know if I can go back in my memory and remember you. <laughs> Maybe Damon can remember something that yeah. didn't make it in there. I think I posted a bunch of kind of, oh, what's the term for it? Um, losing my words, but I, I, <laughs> stuff I, like that. I put a link for uh, I think charging property tax for vehicles based on weight. I think was one of those right. references. That, you know, those are uh, instead of age of car, which is what it is right now, which is like and like the value was when it was new, which is insane because like a 2000 F150 charges hardly anything. Like a brand new Prius is going to cost a lot more for property tax, mm -hmm. but the damage they do to the roads is pretty different. So yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But I've, I've run into roadblocks so far trying to propose that to the county, so. Yeah. Mm. We're just kind of short on good precedent for a lot of the stick approaches. Like, even New York City is having a huge challenge with doing, you yeah. know, rolling out congestion pricing. It's been going on for 15 years now. It seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least DC was able to pass the uh, registration based on weight things. So, like, yeah, there's th- there is an example. <laughs> there's not yeah. not very many. What about the like the one on parking management? I, I guess I don't know exactly what that means in that in that in that sentence as far as part of the. Mm-hmm. But I mean that would seem like possibly the part of the stick approach in terms of limiting parking. But I don't right. know that's what is meant by that. It, it could be, uh, again, because we're trying to keep a, um, stay open to all the different cities. Mm-hmm. What works in Baldwin City may not work here in Lawrence. So um, the recommendation is that they look at parking management strategies that are very locally relevant that make them the most efficient as possible. Um, yeah, and we, there's a little box at the bottom that further explains that, but it doesn't give the... And it is, a, it is an area we get a lot of questions about is the parking management in particular. So we might need to put some more examples in there, a little bit more of like, what, what could you choose from? And yeah, parking maximums and minimums, those are, those are good strategies that a lot of cities are employing. Right. Mm-hmm. This looks like it was a lot of work to kind of put together. I'm curious, are there any existing documents for similar population and size towns as Lawrence and the county? where they're maybe further ahead, maybe they're already at the place where the goal is for Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And to look at what they did, was that part of the process or did, or was that just not available? Well, <clears throat> there's, so there's not a, like a lot of other plans that are out there, there wasn't really like a place on the website where you could just look at all the plans that are out there. You ha- it was really just Google searching and, and finding out what's, what's out there, talking to uh, peers that have worked on climate plans. Um, we're part of other peer organizations that helped put us in touch with other county and city plans. Um, but your question's really good, and I don't know that I came across one that was further ahead necessarily than Lawrence, other than, I guess you could say uh, the plan, that, I can't remember the name of the county, but there was a county in Colorado that I looked looked at, and they were definitely further ahead, um, as Colorado tends to be. Um. Were they f- oh. further ahead in the in actual results, or was results. it just in and I guess policy what, changes, or? But both policy changes. They're they're a lot further ahead when it comes to uh, electric vehicles, and um, yeah, I guess it depends on what you're looking so, at. Sorry if I cut you off. So take it back if you want. But I think I I'm, I'm going to go where you're where I think you want to go. Understanding how we fare compared to other communities is often important in our conversations. Mm-hmm. If if there's a way to situate where Douglas County is now relative to other communities that we might compare ourselves to, mm-hmm. that can be really helpful. Okay. And I'm looking at yeah. your forecast for emissions. It, it's, not, it's not really indexed to like population size. I would wonder if there's some way to say, you know, for our community size, here's what emissions look like today Mm-hmm. Here's what they look will be expected to look like without this plan. Here's what where they'll go with the plan. Mm-hmm. And if it turns out that in all cases, that's still not even close to what other peer cities are doing. 
Mm-hmm. And I would wonder if, if we need to go to, like Nick's saying, maybe we need to be more aggressive about this. Maybe we're being too um, relaxed about just how much pain people need to have mm-hmm. to see a change. I mean, it looks to me like by 2030, we're not going to make a whole lot of difference. And I wonder, like, is that because we're not willing to or we just think that's all that's feasible technologically? Um, but knowing yeah. other communities have, you know, a different per capita emissions mm-hmm. tell me, like, oh, if they can do it, what makes Lawrence, why couldn't we do that? Mm-hmm. So something that kind of shows where do we fall relative to other communities on a per capita basis would be, would really provide insight, I think, into where are we? Maybe we're doing awesome. It seems like part of the issue is that there's a cooperative state government is also a factor. Um, and I would have a yep. feeling that the Colorado legislature is probably a little bit more open to, uh, you know, moving the needle than the Kansas legislature has been. Um, right. I think that one actually is uh, stated in the goals where it's like, it should be 60%, but like, we can't do this. It's just Lawrence. It's got to be the state and national as well. Right. But it'd be, yeah, I mean, I still agree with you. It'd still be interesting to see. One thing that would be interesting to compare when you're thinking about different, you know, things we could do locally. For me, I'm not seeing a whole lot about transit in here. And mm. the most significant way to change this is to get people to stop using their own vehicles. There has to be an alternative mm-hmm. that doesn't involve walking and biking. People aren't all going to walk and bike. Mm-hmm. So yeah. our bus system is probably the most obvious alternative mm-hmm. to using a personal vehicle. Right. There's a little bit of mention, but it doesn't seem... I guess I'm looking for a lot more aggressiveness around public transit. Uh-huh. And you're talking about... In the, so those yeah. communities that maybe have greater investments in public transit, how do they stand when it comes to per capita emissions? Yeah. Right. So two things I want I want to make sure I um, I address there. Uh, one of them is on the um, the emphasis on greenhouse gas inventory um, was only a part of this plan. Uh, we did an l- extensive community outreach, talked to a lot of people to find out what do people really want to see here in our county, and um, so the inventory came secondary to what we heard from people. Um, so. It, comparing to another community, just greenhouse gas inventory alone doesn't really even scratch the surface on what we can we can do to adapt to the changes that we're starting to see, alongside mitigating. So that's part of why you don't see so much comparison to other communities um, is because this is really uh, it's a it's a it's a hybrid plan of the two. Um, a lot more emphasis, a lot of emphasis placed on on adaptation, in here as well. Um, so it makes it a little bit harder to compare, uh, but I, I, I will uh, look back to see what we can put in there uh, for comparison's sake. Um, also, another thing that makes it kind of hard is that not every community does uh, a greenhouse gas inventory every year or every three years. The recommendation is every three years once you've gotten started. And so it might be a little hard to find one from 2021 that really mirrors mm. our community size. Okay. Um, on public transit, we do have some things in here on, uh, and a lot of it's grouped together. You're right. It, there's not a lot of speci- uh, specifications or like very, um, in the, we didn't get into the weeds with shared mobility and um, using uh, microtransit, uh, but those are in the plan. And it's meant to, again, have that county perspective and not just be limited to Lawrence. If we went into a lot of great detail on public transit, it would um, really be more of a Lawrence plan. Sure, but the vast majority of our population lives in Lawrence. 
That's true. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right in that reason. In that regard, um, do you see something that's not quite covered? And when you look at the bigger I guess picture, it is of a matter of the degree that you cover the um, types of interventions that might be effective. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's <clears throat> clear to me that most people aren't going to shift their mode from using a car to biking. I mean, mm -hmm. we've done this for years, and that just isn't viable for most people. Mm -hmm. But if you look at other communities that have made significant investments in public transit, you do see a significant shift in mode. So it's, it's something that, you know, Lawrence in particular has um, readiness to do that, but no one knows to what extent. You know, we've, yeah. we've passed sales taxes to allow for support for our public transit system. We're providing free public transit this year as a pilot. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely support for that in this community. Yeah. Um, it's hard to know like how much support. Right. If we were to say we need to be more aggressive and have bus service that really meets people's needs. You know, how much more would that cost us? Would it be worth that investment if it, you know, would that make a significant impact on greenhouse gas emissions? Right. Because mm -hmm. people would have to start choosing not to drive. Right. Themselves. Mm -hmm. so. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how is that pilot going? Have any results come in to show maybe month to month? We haven't had an update from the transit director about it. So okay. it's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. I've been wondering about it. And I was also wondering, is there, do you know if there's plans to continue it or funding? Not that we've been told. Okay. Great. All right. Just out of curiosity uh, about the emissions. I mean, I'm still, I'm kind of new to Kansas area and stuff, but do you, because I know with all the winds that come to us, just like with the fires that were up in uh, Canada that kind of affected us here, is there any other uh, things from like from Topeka or from Kansas City that plays into this factor that yeah. these emissions? Um, or is this strictly, I mean. Oh, you were talking about where are these emissions coming from? Is that is that the question? Well, I mean, does is there um, is there outside of the community uh, emissions coming in that affects these statistics? The statistics that we have here are just Douglas County. Okay, but do so you, it's, I mean, is there any other factors that could influence those? Uh, give, give me. You said like the wildfires, like that kind of, or that is just. That's a situation, but I'm saying, is there some wind factors that could affect what's shown in here for county, Douglas County? Other, okay, never mind. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I just want to make sure. I'm, I'm, I'm just a little puzzled. I'm not sure that I'm following the question. Do you mean? Um, are you thinking of emissions as? Uh, so the, so the way that emissions are measured is by what we actually use. So when, when a car is traveling, we, we track miles and look at emissions yeah. based on that. No, I understand that. Okay. But I mean, is there uh, you know, any other factors that come into that? Okay, never mind. No, I, okay, it's been answered. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, sorry. I think so in air quality, yes. when you talk about emissions, like ozone is one yeah. that, right? So okay. I don't think this really relates to that. But I think in other ways we would study emissions. Well, um, okay, because here, okay, those, so those patterns would have an impact. Yeah, because yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm from Arizona, okay? Right. And we had a lot of 
uh, emissions that would come from California, mm -hmm. you know, through the winds and stuff. I understand yes. that it's not that great of a you know thing here, but is there any other? I mean, that's what I'm trying to find. Is there anything? Yeah, that I understand now. Yeah, <clears throat> that helps understand. Um, you're talking about actual air quality, and uh -huh. we actually don't have air quality man monitors right here in Lawrence. We rely on air quality monitors in Topeka and Kansas City, and that helps us see whether or not we're okay. how how we're how we're performing in terms of air quality. Um, and but the emissions that we're measuring here are the ones that contribute to climate change. So the 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 major one there is carbon dioxide. That's really the main main thing that we're actually tra looking at. What what traps heat? So if I, may, I I think maybe what you're trying to get at is that forest fires do release carbon dioxide because of how they burn and carbon monoxide as well. But because the burning is happening in another county, unless it happens in this county, it's not our emissions. I think that's basically how it breaks down. Even if it were to waft over, it starts here. So like even if our tailpipe emissions are waft. Well, yeah, I'm sure that they're able to distinguish which from the fire smoke and emission smoke, I'm sure. Right. But what I'm saying is um, pollutants from, say, Topeka from the freeway from 70, how does that affect this area? That would be in their inventory instead. I think also it's the model that's being used isn't based on actual measurement. Mm -hmm. it's, it's based on data, uh, um, equipment that's producing that emission. So you can count how many vehicles are on the road and from there kind of use a model to say this is how much carbon dioxide is being emitted from those vehicles. Okay. It's not a... Right. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not more of a model. Okay. So when... It's basically just whatever goes to Douglas County is what you're counting no matter where it comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Be interesting to actually have a monitor. That would be. I'd be curious about that too. <laughs> I, that does bring up kind of a question though. Are are is spring burn in Douglas County included as part of these emissions? The no. Okay. We weren't. No, we weren't able to track um, like particulate matter. And mm -mm. I mean, it still relates to carbon dioxide. It's just like sure. You know how many acres? Yeah, absolutely. Right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, all the things that we tracked were um, in the greenhouse gas inventory. And in fact, I can pass this around. Maybe you guys would be interested in taking a look at the printed, the, the full report that talks about our inventory. And I can make this available to you guys if you want to have a copy of it. It's probably well. online, right? That one is not online yet. Yeah, it will be. Okay. Cool. Uh, I, I kind of want to follow up on what you brought up about the kind of the metric use. Mm -hmm. Because the, so this is using total tons of carbon dioxide, and it's, if it's not done per capita, how does that factor in if there's a population change in Douglas County? You know, like the population of Douglas County goes up, mm -hmm. then one would imagine if everybody, if everybody's behavior stayed exactly the same, right. then <coughs> carbon emissions would also increase. That's right. Is there a yeah. correction at all for that? There is. They, okay. Yeah, we, in T 2050, there is a, a chart that shows how population will change um, by the year 2030 and, and beyond. And we did use that, that or ICLE uh, used that cool. calculation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so everything has assigned a factor, and then including, there is a per capita as well used in here. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's hard to, I mean, what we're getting at here is some of the challenges we're coming up with. I guess, uh, or I won't say against, but in a lot of the small group sessions, um, you know, it's easy to quickly get tied down and into the weeds of the yeah. stuff. But <laughs> when you think about 
mobility in Lawrence, it's not, it's not hard to imagine where we stand if, you know, for say, for instance, you, when you visit a, a city like Seattle, you get off the flight, you can grab a train, you're in the city, um, you know, it, and, and I, I would push back against the idea that people in Lawrence aren't willing to bike by transportation um, because, you know, like the Netherlands or uh, places like that, uh, similar climates, you know, mm -hmm. all those people aren't biking just because they're good people. No, I don't, I'm not suggesting it can't be done, yes. but the infrastructure investments would be pretty significant. And right. when you think about um, what can we do with the money we might have, probably getting people to shift to transit would be the quickest way to see a mode shift away from using the vehicle. Um, Vancouver, British Columbia, you know, they've made a clear goal to prioritize transit. Like over half their population uses transit. So communities that have made that their primary way to shift people away from using vehicles, I imagine they have seen improvements in greenhouse gas emissions. Right. To, to make the to make bicycling a viable activity for a large segment of our population, like 50% would probably just be impractical. And it might take us like redesigning not just our roads, but even how we build as we yeah. continue to you know, grow as a community. Yeah. So, investment. so the, Any of these the yeah. same community can get there faster by using transit than they would be to rebuild for a, a bike intense right. kind of activity. So that's where it's just really saying of the modes, which one is gonna contribute um, in the simplest way toward the goal if the goal is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And, and if you look at the data around bicycling, it's just, it hasn't changed significantly. Not that transit has either. But I think if you're trying to say, what can I do with a million dollars, or let's say $100 million, probably you're going to get further faster by investing in transit than in bicycling infrastructure. That's kind of where my, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Not to diss bike, bicycling at all. <laughs> Was that part of your community feedback, uh, finding out as far as just people who were responding what they would prefer? as being uh, for the motor transportation solution mm. for this, this issue? Uh, no, well, in the community survey, yes, not in the focus groups. We didn't actually ask that question. Uh, but in the community survey we did, and a lot of people did mention public transit that, and biking and walking, all of them. I would say they were all mentioned in there um, multiple times. Uh, and on public transit, the one that I saw the most was probably around um, uh, the shelter that's used um, at the different stations. Yeah. Listen, this is great. What other, I mean, rather than me kind of going through each and every one of these by themselves, what other questions or discussion do you guys want to have? I think we have a little, we have what, till 6 o'clock, 6.15? So there is data on the per capita uh, emissions for the U.S. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe at a very basic level, just comparing ourselves against national data would be helpful. It says 17.6 uh, 
I guess this, I'm assuming, tons of CO2 mm -hmm. is... That, uh, yeah, they always use that same so like, definition. Are we at 17.6 in Douglas County from this inventory? Does it tell us that, or are we emitting more or less? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think we could put we could put that comparison in there to show how we compare to the to the U.S. Of course, yeah. Again, I, we were we were not trying to put too much emphasis just on this one metric. There are a lot of different ways to measure climate performance or how we're performing as a community. Um, so we just didn't place uh, all the emphasis on on the inventory itself. Pretty good. Looks like we're at 13.1 versus 17, so that's good. Oh. Based on the numbers in, in the report. So that seems good. There you go. <laughs> I had a question about goal GS, G3S2 about, um, there's one that says incorporate alternate travelways or paths for walking and biking in the unincorporated areas. What do you envision that looking like? Are we talking like in Germany and the Netherlands where you have these long distance bike paths that go between town to town or just like sidewalks? Like what's the... What's the vision? Yeah, so uh, this one is aligned with the countywide bike plan. And uh, yeah, the way that I envision it, at least, um, and Kathy, you can speak to this too if you'd like. Um, uh, but yes, it's they're well connected uh, so that you can bike, walk between the different cities within the county mm. if you choose to use that mode of transportation that it's available to you. Is there a lot of demand for that at this time? There, um, based on what we heard in the focus groups, yes, there, there were definitely there was definitely interest for that. Um, I, beyond that, I couldn't tell you just how much demand there is. Okay, I mean, like obviously it works in other countries. I just don't know if that's because mm -hmm. they've already fleshed out the bike network in cities and they're like, all right, now we can do bikes everywhere. Let's just start. Yeah, I think what and what I remember hearing mostly was on the recreation side, not so much for commuting, which yeah. where we see the biggest dent would be in commuting. Yeah. But getting people, anybody we can get, any, more, any, any way that we can encourage more time spent outdoors, the more progress we're going to make on this plan and with our climate emissions overall. Yeah, yeah I, I hear what you're saying because if it's commuting, that's required travel. Mm -hmm. so right. Increasing carbon footprint with required travel would seem to me a priority. Yes. Over recreation. Allowing recreation opportunities. Uh huh. Which, is, don't get me wrong, biking is rad. Right. It's really fun to go on cool travel paths. Yeah. But if the point is to just overall mm -hmm. increase it. Right. So again, instead of driving to work and you make your bike to work fantastic and comfortable, nice place to park your bike. Mm -hmm. Thinking about Europe, they, they have nice places to park their bikes. You know? uh, yeah. So I, I don't know if there's something to do with that. I very rarely even lock them because it doesn't matter. So many people have so many bikes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not even an issue. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a question for you guys. Do you think that if, I mean, from what you've heard and what you've learned from being on this commission, do you see uh, that aiding in reducing vehicle miles traveled in cars? Bike parking, specifically? Well, uh, this one here, um, I mean, we could talk about bike parking too, but I was thinking more about this, uh, connecting the, the different cities and counties. I feel like that maybe would be a better question for somebody like Pat who actually does those rides out in the county. Like, are you going to do it regardless of if there's a nice path or not? Or are you going to just find a way? Well, you know, I mean, I think with the, with the out in the county that there are certain routes that people take because, you know, it's like 458 because the shoulder is safe. And, and uh, you know, so there are routes. And I think, you know, the other thing is people do recreational and it can spill over into, you know, they've got the bike. Mm -hmm. They're doing recreational. Yeah. 
okay, maybe I'll take my bike to work, mm -hmm. you know, for some other other opportunities. So, you know, recreational cyclists use it for other purposes. But, you know, going back to like parking and some of those amenities that make it comfortable for people to commute and, you know, have your bike safely parked without fear of being stolen and those kinds of things. So, mm -hmm. you know, the infrastructure is important, uh, but important there. But I think the encouragement can come from, from those other recreational uh, routes and just the visibility that, that it brings to cycling to the motoring public too. I think, you know, the more that they see cyclists out there, you know, to, to be encouraged to do that or at least to show the road, yeah, <laughs> nothing nice. else. I guess just to try to make my thinking clear here, if this was a single budget for a unified county city government, I feel like this would be a total waste of money when we could be building capacity in town where there's actually likely to be a benefit. But since it's two different pots of money, it's like city MSO and county MSO, whatever they're called. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, in that case, it's really just an equivalent suggestion, right? Like you in the city, you should build more bike lanes and make better transit. You in the county, you may as well do the same thing too, right? Yeah, even if, connect them up. <laughs> like, even like the impact is not gonna be nearly as great. And it's gonna cost a lot more to get the needle moved, but it's not like they can do much in the city of Lawrence anyway, so like, that's not, yeah, that makes sense. I don't think they're mutually ex exclusive. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of strange to see it right next to like another important suggestion, like, oh, do we really need walking paths in the middle of nowhere? I don't know, but I'm a city guy, so. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's where the, again, in lies the challenge. In the smaller communities, too. Yeah, like in the communities, for sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Baldwin and, you know, making sure that, that, that that's a consideration as well, so. Yeah. 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 So when you guys were all chatting, um, there's a lot of real practical uh, stuff here that would be out of infrastructure and things like that. Uh, was there any discussion about how to kind of advocate for cultural shifts, um, mm -hmm. you know, because there's a lot of kind of softer advocacy things that happen, I don't know, bike to work days or things like that mm -hmm. that just encourage a culture and community to do it as a community, yeah. uh, as opposed to like, this is a really neat bike path. You know, they're mm -hmm. kind of two different. Like, yeah, try to have incentives to go out there and actually use yeah, the... something, or just... just how do you make it fun, I guess, or a right. you know, community thing? Yeah. More so than mm -hmm. a practical thing, or both. Yeah, so the the way that we've been, we have discussed that, and there has been a lot of recommendation to add in here what people can do, what the community members can actually do to help move the needle as well. And we do have plans to have another part of this plan that helps spell out, like it'll tie back to policies and programs that government is doing and then what the person can do with that on the ground. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And we, we do need the cultural shift as part of this. And that's why we tried to, that's why we started with those focus groups so we could reach out to the community first and help them see this is what we're trying to do and get that feedback. And then we'll, we're circling back to those same people now. Um, so hopefully that will all come together in, in a cultural shift. That's the hope. Because we, we definitely, government can't do it alone. Yeah, it's another arrow in the quiver, you know, it's like, uh, here's your award for the most miles covered by a community cyclist or something. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's like an award. Uh-huh. That's really cool. 
Yeah, yeah. And this is these are the kinds of conversations I have with friends on the weekends. Like, what, what kind of voucher do you need to have if you ride your bike to the bakery or something? Can they give you a discount? Or <laughs> rainy days you'd like to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. On the on the most challenging days. <laughs> and what did you wear? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Kathy, do you have anything you want to add right now? I, I, you've been kind of quiet. I don't know if you want to say anything about anything you've heard so far. Or... Okay. I know Kathy's kind of lost her voice a little bit from a meeting she was in before this, but, but feel free to chime in at any time, of course. This is something that doesn't really relate to transportation, but am I reading this correctly that there's an assumption that the number of trees would not change? Like. In the right now, the way that we are looking at our <coughs> targets is that it, we won't reduce it. That will stay 20%. Is there a lot of pressure to reduce the amount of tree coverage? There's not pressure to reduce it. Uh, I mean, with develop like through development, is that through development there there could I mean so there is maintaining it I guess going to take effort or is that just yes maintaining would take effort. That's right. So the living system section kind of goes into a little bit more of that yeah. of really respecting and acknowledging um, the living systems the the systems that make us the natural systems that make us more resilient. It seems like the amount of um, reduction just by maintaining tree coverage is actually greater than the reduction by making the changes in the transportation. Oh, just by maintaining it alone? I don't know if I'm reading this right, but 151,000 I mean by maintaining, and then the reduction between 21 and 2030 for transportation to mobile sources is 371 down to 252. Mm -hmm. About 120. So we'd be better off maybe just planting more trees? I, I think in addition to uh, these actions. It's a good thing to keep you from doing more good things. <laughs> well, yeah. I know we talk we just... sometimes about how trees are important to uh, slow down vehicles. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm trying to make a connection, but ah. that yeah. just surprises me how much can be done just by growing more, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. G g vegetation is a, a wonderful way to, I mean, that's what plants consume is carbon dioxide, the, the, the top greenhouse gas in our atmosphere. I was going to bring up something kind of similar, and that is that there's a lot of mowing that happens around town that really doesn't need to happen for the most part. And I feel like we could have a lot more just impromptu forests if we just stopped mowing all the time. Um, or switch to electric mowers. I mean, or I mean, but then you still don't have the trees to take carbon dioxide, right? Like grass is fine, but trees are real good. So, I mean, that's it's kind of a a silly recommendation, I guess. I would I would propose to add, but like less mowing can't hurt necessarily. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's good for, for habitat restoration. It's not great habitat, but it's better than a roadside median, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so. Yeah. Just something silly. And then there's another thing about Im impervious surfaces that I, I feel like I saw it mentioned, but it wasn't necessarily tied to transportation, but I think it does tie to transportation just because it's usually roads and parking lots and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I don't recall if I saw anything in there like, we recommend there be less impervious surface here to reduce the heat island effect and... You know. Yeah, that is yeah. in... Build, I believe it's in the, the build goal number four, build resilience in our transportation infrastructure. Yeah, it was that. I believe is where I saw that, or we put that. Um, in the very first one, um, we have uh, conduct an audit heat vulnerable, um, 
heat vulnerable neighborhoods and identify opportunities to incorporate protective shading and green infrastructure elements. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe there's one about seek opportunities to repurpose and restore underutilized paved surfaces to green space. Okay. So maybe not the language that you would be expecting to see in there. Yeah, I think a little I bit more straightforward. I think I probably just read past the second one, so, okay. Yeah, and you know, and I have to tell you, I think that this this one here, the one about seek opportunities to repurpose and restore, I believe that was supposed to be number three, and it somehow got combined and lost <laughs> in there with number two. I just happened to see that today, so I think that was something that happened in the design. Okay, cool. Um, any final thoughts? I want to get public comment in, because I have a feeling you're waiting for that. Any Any last thoughts? Closing remarks. I would just add that we have the open houses coming up. Um, November 9th is our first one. It's at Sunrise Project, and it's for youth. So if you have anybody between the ages of 13 and 29, I believe, or somewhere close to that age group, um, there's going to be uh, food and prizes and opportunity for their voices to get incorporated by looking over this plan with us. Um, and then we have a general open house on November 13th. It would be great if you guys could come out to that. It will be at the train depot um, in the evening from... Oh, I forgot the time right now. Oh, gosh, I've got it written down. 5.30 to 7.30. The one in North Lawrence? Or the North Lawrence. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep, and then uh, we are doing a work session like this for the county commissioners on the same in the same week, November 15th. Uh, and then we'll have two additional open houses as well, one in uh, Baldwin City and one in Eudora is what we're looking at right now. So anything you guys can do to help us promote it and get more voices on the plan would be great. Okay. <clears throat> cool. All right, so I need to stop sharing, is that right? All right, do we have any public comment in the room? Yeah, you can come over here if you want. Sorry, thanks. Uh, I hadn't planned to speak. I, I wanted to come down and see how many dared bike here tonight. Um, theft, as I may have told you, is becoming rampant. They're stealing bikes in broad daylight. Um, they took a bike apart at the railroad station where there should be a, uh, a, a bike box. They just took one apart in broad daylight and on film. Um, they stole a whole bike rack down at the uh, Rick, Rick, uh, Senior Resource Center, just unbolted. It wasn't properly installed. No telling what kind of bike they got with it. <clears throat> It used to be that a thief would look in here and think, I'm not going to mess with a bike out here, you know, because he sees all the activity. Go look at the tool rack. It, there are no tools there. There's not proper lighting there. And it's too far from the entrance. If that's permanent, we need a bike rack right here. Anybody that's got any uh, familiarity with the bike theft will bring their bike inside. But um, I'm going to be speaking with the county commission soon. And telling them that for <laughs> for nine years, the last nine years of my working life, I um, I biked uh, for four years at the Lone Star, and this is sometimes seven days a week. Uh, and then I biked just over the line in DeSoto for five years, and I did that. Uh, and this was year round. Whenever there are times when I couldn't do it, but you get you get back to town. You get back to town, let's say, and you want to go to the courthouse. Where are you going to park a bike? If you think you're going to park a bike over by the judicial center in the wave rack, you're nuts these days. Are you familiar with the previous county executive? 
Um, Craig Weinhoff. Oh, yeah. Serious cyclist, right? Right. You were there? Yeah. Where did he park a bike? I think he brought it into his office. Of course he did. Was that because he was a big shot? And I called and talked to the, the fellow um, in charge of the rebuilding project. You know, you got it all torn up. When's a good time to put in quality bike parking? Hadn't even thought of it. Mm. So um, this company, this committee knows that I'm really um, disappointed in it for not taking this responsibility. I have heard some encouraging words from you, sir, whoever you are, and of course from Pat. I, I'm such a happy guy. Just so you know, the um, the second module of the zoning code. I don't want to know that. How do you know that? You should definitely comment on it because it has very specific things to bike parking. So if there's stuff that you don't like, then we really need to know that. And we've been here before. All right. All right. Anybody online for public comment? Doesn't look like it. Oh, wait. I guess Hillary's there. That's not really public. All right. <laughs> My case, we're breaking until 6.15. And uh, see you guys back in 10 minutes. Thanks again. Thanks. Commission's November meeting. So we've already done the upfront stuff, so just jump right in. Yep. Yep. Uh, starting with approval of the October minutes. Does any commissioner have any questions or comments or requested revisions on the minutes? And if not, I'd ask for a motion to do something about that. Okay. I'll second it. Okay. Uh, Motion to approve by Commissioner. Colette. Um, Colette, Jesus, sorry. <laughs> it's one of those days. It's a long day. Second by Commissioner Brian. All in favor, raise your hands. It's unanimous. Man. Is Hillary online? Sorry, okay. Pat, I didn't yeah. mean that personally. <laughs> uh, all right, next up is general public comments. The public is allowed to speak to any items or issues that are not scheduled on the regular agenda. Public comment will not be received for staff items, commission items, or calendar, though sometimes we have made exceptions. Each person or organization will be limited to three minutes. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss, debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented at this time. Individuals are asked to come to the microphone, sign in, and state their name and address. Speakers should address all comments to the commission. Do we have anybody in the room who wishes to make a general public comment? No one in the room. All right, online? No one online. All right. Cool, moving on to regular agenda. Items. So we're going to be first considering the 2023 pedestrian improvements project field check plans and provide feedback. Uh, good evening, Jake Baldwin, engineering program manager with MSO, um, and I'm going to present the field check plans for our 2023 pedestrian improvements project. And um, high level, this uh, project is really a combination of some sidewalk gaps and some ADA reconstruction sidewalk segments that we're kind of packaging together to um, hopefully go to construction later um, this spring, probably the end of spring of 24. Um, some uh, highlights of the project. Um, and actually, before I jump into highlights, um, the, all the, the segments that we're going to be working on are listed here in the memo, so I won't read through those verbatim. Um, but high level, I was going to mention that we did remove a couple of the segments we originally had in the plans, um, and I'll kind of touch on those as we go through the plan sheets. 
And then I just also note that um, when it comes to our ADA sidewalk reconstruction segments, those are pretty much going right back in on existing alignment. Um, and again, that's kind of focused on minimizing impacts to landscaping, trees, driveways, all those things that, you know, the sidewalk's there for a reason, so let's not move it if we don't have to, unless it makes sense. Um, and those are really block in to block in, so they, they kind of start with a, an ADA sidewalk ramp and they end with a sidewalk ramp. Um, and with that, I will share screens and kind of jump in to the plans. Okay, so just on our title sheet, that kind of gives you a geographical representation of where these um, project pieces are going to take place. And the first one here is on 9th Street, just the block in there. That's an ADA um, reconstruction of the existing sidewalk. Um, Moving on to Wisconsin Street, and uh, what you're seeing here is from 6th Street heading north, and this is actually one of the, the sidewalk pieces we're pulling out of this project. Um, so it is an identified need, however, there's a lot more going on on this corridor that needs to be approached with a more comprehensive project. Uh, we don't have curb and gutter, so we've got stormwater problems on this section. The pavement's not in great shape. It's also on the primary uh, bike network, so we need to get a facility here. This is where the, the network will end. At a, there'll be a, a shared use path coming in from the west on 6th Street, and the network has um, that going north to 5th Street and then back east. So um, again, lots of different pieces that we need to consider. It needs to be more than just a sidewalk project. So, Jake, excuse yes. me. So you said that that project has been pulled temporarily and to, yes. be, to be so, combined with the other... Right, so the strategy is staff is going to enter a, a CIP project next year to put all those pieces together and get it planned. Okay. Because the 6th Street um, path is already is already in there, right? Is already in the CIP or at Wisconsin? It's, it's going to be built with another project. Okay. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. Um, so we can jump past this piece. Um, now we get to 5th Street. So we are going to keep going with north of 5th Street with our sidewalk gap. We've got quite a bit of right away here. So um, we are missing curb and gutter on this block as well, but we've got, like I said, a lot more right-of-way, so we can put that sidewalk in a place where um, we can do future improvements and, and not impact what we just built. <coughs> then we've got um, reconstruction on Arkansas from 8th Street to the north um, to 7th Street. Um, again, block into block end. Um, five foot wide sidewalks where the, the width would be variable but more than likely four. Compliant ramps. Again, sitting on the existing alignment to avoid um, the established trees and landscaping. And there we are ending on the north side on on 7th Street, that's just kind of a zoomed in detail of the sidewalk ramps. <clears throat> Next segment here is on East 10th Street between Rhode Island and Connecticut. 
and you can see there's a, a little bit of um, driveway work where we encounter those. You'll, you'll see that it's on some alleys as well. Specifically here on 11th Street, we'll be touching both the alley entrances um, between Tennessee and Kentucky. And then um, one of the other pieces that we're going to pull from this plan set is the, the sidewalk on Vermont Street, basically uh, north of the elementary school or north of the elementary school to uh, 17th Street there on the west side. We happen to have a street maintenance project going in that same area this year as well. And we don't want to build one and then come back and build the other. So we're actually going to take that project and put it together in-house and, and get it let and can hopefully go to construction later this year. So it will happen, it's just not going to be part of this plan set. East 19th Street between New Hampshire and Rhode Island. Again, kind of the, the top of the block end there. And then here's where we've got um, our one of the sidewalk gap projects. And this is on Harper Street on the west side, starting on East 25th Terrace and going north, essentially making a connection that will get you connectivity to East 23rd Street. Hey, Jake. Yes. Quick question. I still this one does have like a little uh, bump out for bus stop. I was just curious what the, I think there was another bus stop on one of the other segments, but it didn't show the same kind of space. I was just curious what the, what's the design uh, process for, do we include bus stop or not? Uh, let's see, I guess the process for that would be is we, coordinate with our transit department on these plans and make sure they review them to identify their preferred locations. I know they've got, I think, a, a study to, to move some, some of these around. Sometimes they're not in great locations. So this is a chance to fix that. Um, other than that, we use PROAG guidance to get them the right slope and shape. So I guess then, presumably, if there wasn't the same kind of concrete bump out on this other one that Damon's talking about, is it possible that that just wasn't on the list of stops to be improved in the next couple of years? Um, I'm not sure. Okay. So I wonder, like, even if they weren't going to build a shelter, which is an expensive part, like, while you're there, maybe some extra concrete, so if they did have to build a shelter, it'd be easier. I don't, I don't know if it's worth it, though, if that's not even on their list, so. Okay. Interesting. Uh, I'm trying to find, uh, it's on, uh, I think, the 11th Street one from Tennessee to Kentucky. I think there's a bus stop, but it didn't have like, there is kind of a path right next to it that's there, so. I was just curious what, a lot of disparate bits I know, so. <laughs> you see this on this sheet here? Yeah, at least, at least Google Maps was saying there's a, Stop on the maybe the south side of 11th near kind of closer to Tennessee. I think the route restructuring must be happening in real time because there's a ton of closed bus stops around the city. So I wouldn't be surprised if Google Maps was at a date or something. Yeah, it could be. And then, like, that, that bus stop is no longer. 
that's something we, we can check with our, our team at Transit and make sure we're doing the right thing there. Okay. Okay. Let me jump back to Harper here. Again, sidewalk gap projects, we have to do a little bit of curb to put ramps in. We've got to touch some driveways and tie back into them. <clears throat> got to relocate any um, water meters. Um, in certain cases, we may have to remove trees. I think that might be the only one on the project. So on Harper and 24th, it looks like the sidewalk is much closer to the road than it is for some of the other sections. Um, is that because the, the right-of-way couldn't have been purchased? It looks like physically there's plenty of space there, but is it some sort of legal issue where there's just not enough room? You said it did 24th? Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, it's Harper and 24th. <clears throat> I think that's where I'm at here on the screen. I'll have a, yep. a, a label there. There we go. Oh. There it is, yeah. No, it's a little different from mine. I know I'm struggling here. That's oh, East 24th, yeah. there we go. Where it's like right up against the road there. Yep, so in, in this case, your, your right away is actually clear down if you follow my cursor. So some, something happened with platting back in the day, and so we're gonna have to get pedestrian easements to put these in here. Um, in the ramp configuration kind of dictates where the alignment of the sidewalk's gonna go in this, in this instance. Wait, so you do have to get pedestrian easements to get it up that far away from the road across the driveway? Yeah, we're, we're gonna need easement on these two properties, I believe, on both sides, just because the, if you see that dashed line there is where the right of is at until you get further north and south. So I guess if, uh, my question is that if it's already, if you're already having to get the, those easements for the crossing, would it be possible to get easements to also move the sidewalk in? I mean, it looks like you'd be right in the tree line, which is a bummer. So either you're inside the tree line, right up next to, to those houses, or you're on the road, or you're at the trees. Like, there's no, there's no really good option, I guess. Um, I don't know. I mean, are there a lot of other tree replantings involved with this? Like, is that pretty? common with sidewalk construction, or do you really try to avoid them as much as possible? Well, this is just kind of the game you play when you put in sidewalks in established neighborhoods. You know, if we're in a green field, then we can avoid all these problems. But, right. you know, when we get into these situations, we kind of have competing interests to work with. It looks like it would be about the same as it is on the other side of the street. <clears throat> yeah. It, it's wider for some reason on the left side of the page. I don't know if that's north or south or state. It looks like it's a, a wider sidewalk for some reason on the other side of the driveway. <clears throat> yeah, when we put it on the back of the curb, we add a foot, so it's six foot. Okay. Oh, well, to the south of 24th, right? Yeah. I was trying to remember what the engineering design standards are. I thought I remember it's like four feet in established neighborhoods or something like that, and six. Oh, it's five. Okay. Five foot minimum. Five, and it's six on arterials. How many sidewalks actually conform to that? I feel like in East Lawrence, sidewalks are real skinny. But I, there I are know. sidewalks that are less than five feet. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> isn't this one on the one side? Isn't that industrial? I don't know. I have no idea what's over here, honestly. I think it is. <laughs> the one on the east side of this street, isn't that industrial? <laughs> mm. 
Not sure. I mean, it would but that's a five foot sidewalk, I believe, on the east side. Oh, okay. Oh, no. I mean, it would still have to conform to engineering okay. design standards. Yeah. Okay. So when it gets close to the site or close to the street, you just go ahead and connect it all the way. Okay. Yep, constructability. What are the rules for having a, a railing? Because so I know on the Lawrence Loop segment on Delaware, and also I don't know if it ever happened, but on Naismith there were going to be a couple of railings on that because it was like too close and it, you couldn't get the width, so you had to have a railing. Does the FIFA width kind of negate the need for that railing? It, no, the, the railing was because it was a shared use path, okay. so you, you have bike considerations as well. Okay, so only if bikes are involved does that trigger it. That makes sense. Okay. Cool. And that uh, takes us to the end of the plans there, so happy to entertain any other questions you, you have. Anybody have any questions for I have kind of more general questions. So these are all sidewalk, or almost all, almost all sidewalk reconstructions. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how this fits into the general like do-it-yourself sidewalk mitigation pro program where it's like property owners have bad sidewalks that they get tagged by the city. Sure. And the fixing just gets added to your property tax assessment. But there were some places that were so bad for a whole block or two that I was like, eh, these need to be like their own project, honestly. But right. then I think, and I was never clear on like, all right, who pays for that then? Is it still billed to the property owners, but maybe they get better economy of scale because the whole block's doing it? Or how does that work out? Okay, happy to explain. Okay. So yeah, these, these backup starts with the sidewalk improvement program. We do inspections. We have two categories of sidewalks after that. Ones we can repair, ones we can't because they're so bad. Those yeah. ones we can't go into projects like this, an ADA reconstruction project. Um, we treat those property owners the same as we treat the property owners in the sidewalk improvement program like they're doing repairs. Mm -hmm. So we'll go in here and repair block end to block end, but before we do that, we document the existing hazards. That way we can invoice the property owner for those square foot of just the bad sidewalk okay. not the driveway not the good sidewalk if there's a property in here that's developed within the last couple of years and has a brand new sidewalk we're not going to touch it we're going to tie into it okay that makes a little more sense i think regardless of where you stand on who should pay for sidewalks in front of their own houses i think it is good to know that it is definitely fair whether it's a spot fix or whole fix that the same you're paying basically the same rate as anybody else would, regardless of how extensive the whole sidewalk damage is. So, right, that is good. Okay, cool. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this one. You're the actual sidewalk constructor engineer <laughs> guy. You, you have you're the only one real technical experience yeah. here. <laughs> I'm still confused about uh, who, why the homeowner has to pay. I'm used to having the city already have the sidewalks in and everything else like that. But it's kind of happening. State statute, yeah, city it, ordinance. And it, I mean, in some states, it's almost city by city too. It's it's mm -hmm. kind of random, and like it's yeah. not. It doesn't break down along any lines you would think it would, right? It's yeah. not like, you know, really liberal cities allow, and you know, it's yeah. just random. <laughs> That's the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. Okay. Um, any public comment on this item? Not looking like it. Also, Hillary, did, did you want to chime in? Because I have been terrible about looking at your avatar over there. So. No, it's okay. Thank you. Um, Sorry that I'm not there in person tonight, guys. Uh, no, it's um, it's good to see these. They look like works of art. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate all the work that you're doing, Jake, on this. Okay. okay. Well, if we don't have any public comment in the room or online, I guess we're done with this agenda. 
item did, uh, I guess we gave feedback, that's the end of it, right? <laughs> it goes to, goes to construction then. Thanks. Okay, cool, thanks for presenting. Um, quick IT question, Kurt, my keyboard appears to be locked out. It's as if the control key is held down, but it's not, so I can't type anything. Everything I type is a keyboard shortcut. So I'm trying to figure out how to fix that, but it's, it makes it very difficult to take notes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, how's that now? Let's see. Let's do a typing thing. Nope, still doing control F. I'm actually not in IT, Nick, so. Uh. <laughs> AVIT, you know. I mean, to be fair, you probably know computers better than anybody in this room, right? So. I wouldn't say that. I was hoping. I, I, I feel your pain on this issue. Man, that's a bummer. <laughs> all right, well, I'll just, it's all up here. I'll do my best to just take notes here. All right, moving right along then. Can you turn I want to share now. So, yeah, I don't know. Can I? Yeah, I, I feel okay. like the whole thing isn't really fine to change or two. Yeah. Hmm? Uh, okay. Oh, no, if I need to, I'll just make Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I was looking for. Really, like, like, yeah. That'd be sweet. Yeah, you can try that. Sure. Go. And then we'll uh, pay you an extra dollar. <laughs> you getting this broadcast live on YouTube? It's going to double his salary. There you go. Chair of the meeting's under the table. I guess it wasn't the way I wanted to interrupt the meeting, but let's see. Can I take some notes? Oh, now I can't do anything. Your mouse is dead. Great. <laughs> All right, so let's just move on to the next thing. I can just deal with this, I guess. I think you unplugged the webcam. I thought I followed the cord correctly. It's, it's one of the USBs. This is very entertaining, though. It's be a service. Unplug all the USBs and start over. There's another USB. Are we back? At least my mouse is back. Okay. That's good enough. As long as I have a mouse, I'll be fine. Okay. Sorry about that. We're back. Let's start. Moving on to item number, well, item number four. No way. Item number four is um, staff presentation of the street maintenance program um, and the new five year plan, basically, right? Yeah, and provide some feedback on uh, our uh, bikeway improvements and our recommendations. Um, good evening, my name is Steve Lashley. I am a senior project engineer with MSO. Uh, I do a lot of the contracted maintenance uh, type of work and uh, uh, whether mill and overlay, microsurfacing, uh, things of that nature. Um, and I wanted to go over and share the street maintenance program for 2024 with you and uh, receive any feedback that might have uh, uh, pertaining to our recommendations um, concerning the bikeways and the, the comparison on uh, uh, with the, the program. Uh, the, street, the city commission uh, adopted a budget of approximately $9.1 million for our 2024 street maintenance program. Um, we have various items that are included uh, with that. Um, I'll go ahead and share a little bit of the, uh, I think I will be trying to share. Uh, top right, that zoom window, blow that up. There we go. Green button. There, there we go. go. I was just there and Jake just showed me. Yeah, that's it. All right. 
think we're there. All right, in terms of uh, the 2024 street maintenance program on that interactive map link, there's also other work year maps that, uh, um, that are available to look at, you know, for, for our future planning um, and based on, you know, the current adopted budgets um, in the CIP. Um, back to the 2024, we have various locations that uh, uh, we're doing uh, microsurfacing and patching, like the east half of North Lawrence, a good portion of that. That is all microsurface and patching with a mill and overlay stretch. Um, we also have some other microsurface and patching that's up and around the Arrowhead and Brentwood area. Uh, part of our 23 program uh, that we have some mill and overlay carbon gutter type projects that are adjacent to that. Um, we also have, uh, as Jake mentioned earlier, there is a mill and overlay curb and gutter project that is planned for Vermont Street between 17th and 19th Street. Um, we also have a mill and overlay on East 19th uh, from uh, east of Haskell to Harper Street, and that's being uh, collaborated with on uh, a sanitary sewer and stormwater project in that corridor. They're going up Maple Street and they're going to portion uh, east on East 19th. And then at that, uh, at that point, we wanted to uh, go ahead and get that stretch mill and overlaid east and west of that project area. So we're coordinating with uh, another project on that. Um, we also have a mill and overlay curb and gutter project uh, planned for Wakarusa between Queens and 6th Street. Um, and then a is kind of stubbing off of that as a stretch of Dole Street uh, north of Wakarusa with mill and overlay. Uh, that pretty much, well, aside from uh, we also have a mill and overlay curb and gutter project that's currently um, in design for North 2nd and North 3rd Street. And there's state participating funds through the CLIP program, a connecting link uh, through the city. I believe the participation is 400,000 from the state on that and the rest, you know, with the city. So we'll have uh, quite a bit of curb and gutter uh, work along the corridor as well as doing the mill and overlay. Um, in comparison with the uh, uh, those uh, locations, uh, we have. Well, now I need to minimize that. Turn off the share. Yeah. So typically, what we do annually is. Um, take our street maintenance program or our plans, we compare that with the bikeway map um, and uh, in relation to on-street bicycle facilities, what might be able to be included with that or reestablishing uh, those types of facilities. And we use utilize the uh, bike plan um, level of comfort matrix and model tool uh, to help us uh, uh, determine you know some of those recommendations and with the goal being a level of comfort of three or better better being like a lower number so if you're looking at one through five you know three two one is the uh, the preference uh, in range for level of comfort per the uh, bike plan um, we have some streets that we're planning on including sharrows or a shared uh, um, 
uh, shared uh, mark lane markings and also we have existing facilities say on like 19th street where there's a existing bike lanes that we would be planning on reestablishing as part of the mill and overlight work um, one of the items that we specifically wanted to get feedback on is uh, we currently have plans to put sharrows on um, a uh, few streets it's i believe it's well lion dole 7th and 9th street where they are collector streets with a 30 mile per hour uh, speed limit and typically with you know mark shared lane uh, markings um, sharrows are not recommended for anything you know, or for anything greater than 35 miles per hour essentially but uh, we wanted to um, see if there's any additional comments or feedback that uh, the commission uh, would provide in terms of uh, those recommendations and install those sharrows on those collector streets um, that are 30 mile per hour. We also have um, been collecting, if you all are familiar with the payment condition index, uh, we had a recent collection. Uh, the most recent collection was in 2020, and we're looking to, try to go to a three-year cycle in terms of updating our information and collecting a new data set. So we're currently um, in the middle of another data collection uh, for um, um, basically a street assessment to get an overall feel of where we're at in terms of uh, our streets being in satisfactory, good, or poor con condition. Currently we're at a level of 62.4 on a scale of 1 to 100 in terms of condition. Our goal is to get to a level of 70, which would be uh, generally described as being satisfactory. Um, so that's, we base our proposed budgets on what this data is giving us through a modeling or a predictor uh, modeling system um, and what it's been given back to us in terms of recommendations has been uh, you know budget in the range of you know 14 million dollars now within the last few years we've had substantial increases in construction costs um, and uh, just general inflation and you know 30 percent or more uh, potentially uh, in a lot of cases so we ended up in, in a position where we're recommending you know so we're in the, instead of 14.8 million we're in the range of 19.2 million uh, in terms of recommendations and you can see where our budget levels currently are at you know we you know for 2024 we're at 9.1 um, the predictor is telling us that you know, we need to do this amount of work to be able to accomplish uh, getting to, say, that's PCI level of 70 within the next 10 years. Um, so, you know, funding levels, you know, dictate a lot of obviously what we can uh, accomplish. Um, we try to, you know, we take our you know budget and we try to find the best balance we can in terms of maximizing you know, uh, the type of work that we can use you know balance between mill overlays microsurfacing other preventative maintenance techniques um, all in the goal of uh, trying to accomplish you know maintain our streets in good condition you know uh, preserve our investment uh, as long as we can and at the same time trying to increase that overall PCI level that pavement condition level um, 
not sure if I have anything additionally uh, beyond that. I mean, we mentioned that we have also our five-year program out there, so as budget levels and so forth. Uh, uh, vary or increase or decrease, what have you, uh, we will make those adjustments to that five year um, as you know, as it's basically an ongoing maintenance of uh, the, the planning for those various streets, and we try to coordinate. Um, you know, through collaborative efforts, you know, along the various corridors. If we're planning on doing a mill and overlay, we work with other, um, you know, utilities. Um, like water, sewer, storm sewer, we evaluate those and see where they overlap and try to um, be the most, take the most cost efficient approach when we're uh, tackling, you know, rehabilitation uh, work on a corridor. Um, I'd like to open it up if you have any specific comments or uh, recommendations uh, associated with our, our uh, our summary or attachment of recommendations for our various sharrows and reestablishing bike lanes. Okay. Can, uh, so I'm just curious, this level of comfort number, mm -hmm. how is that determined? It is based on the average daily traffic, uh, the, v the speed, uh, the posted speed limit um, uh, primarily. and. Uh, and the type of facility. Um, there's a, on the matrix, it is, you know, for, you know, 35 mile per hour, the recommendation to do a Shero, it won't even be available. So it won't even show that as a consideration. So there's certain parameters within the matrix, you know, limitations, you know, certain vehicle, uh, certain amount of vehicles per day, you know, thre certain thresholds for amount of vehicles uh, per day and then and the, and the speed on a corridor. Uh, is So I'm curious if there's consideration, like, it, I mean, if I think of, North Lawrence, you know, Elm runs parallel to Locus. Uh, having biked that a bunch, Locus is a very uncomfortable road to bike just because it's there's a lot of traffic, big trucks, it's kind of bumpy. Um, but the trick is, Elm is one way. So when you're doing your planning with things like Shuros, is it possible to have it so let's say bicycle traffic is two way on what's normally a one way road for? car traffic does that ever happen well and i guess that's where um we look at the sure. you know the bikeway plan because locust technically isn't identified as a future bikeway sure um in the offset would be you know utilizing elm street is actually the identified uh, corridor so in terms of you know comfort levels and stuff the and I think some of these are identified as locations where the traffic levels are generally seen as being lower. So the vehicles per day, you know, lower amount or lower speeds. And then uh, these corridors are identified through the bike, uh, through the bike plan. And then, um, and that's where we make our comparison where we actually overlap with the type of maintenance of, you know, the various locations. So um, I'm going by that guide in, 
Um, I don't know if I have a specific you know comment on Locust Street, you know, pertaining to uh, uh, associated with the bicycle facilities, you know, because uh, I'm looking at what is already uh, or in the plan and making that direct comparison. So. Well, I'm excited that that's part of the plan because that does make sense. Uh, and I had never even heard the term Shuro before, and it's like really neat to know what those things are called. Um, I guess I'm curious as far as that goes, just to notify a motorist that a bicycle can go both ways. I guess I'm curious as to if that's part of the discussion when those plans are being implemented. Yeah, I think yes. it, <clears throat> if, if it was a one-way street, we, you, you, we would have to mark a bicycle lane going the other direction, a counterflow bike lane. We have one on Louisiana Street, the 1100 block. Mm -hmm. Louisiana Street. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what's been. So it's possible. I think I think one direction has Shiro's, and the other direction we had a, a counterflow bike lane. So it's possible to do that. Okay. Yes. Great. But as far as in our street maintenance plan, I don't know if we're doing a segment of street that's one way. Is that is that the Elm, the first block, east yeah. of uh, east yeah, of the North Second that you're talking about? Yeah. We'll have to yeah. evaluate that location when we get yeah, we can. here, but generally, I, I would say with, the, yes, the Sheros, the Mark Shared Lane uh, <clears throat> markers, um, they're, they're there to give visual cues and not only, you know, the vehicles, you know, the drivers of the vehicles, but also, um, you know, for alignment for the bicyclists themselves and the visual cues that you know, this is for both, you know, the driver, bicyclists, that this is a, you know, share the road. Uh, situation and they are directional in in in, in the way that you know, they have the bicycle marking as well as like a chevron kind of arrow pointing you know this is the direction so it helps orient you know drivers and the bicyclists cool thanks Thank you. Steve as far as the collector um, so 7th Street is a is a collector and it's you've got it marked as a as including a, a Shero on on that street even though the you know the traffic levels are let's see what are they 1725 so uh, the discussion about whether or not it's a Shero or a striped bike lane is that the the choice there or um, is it not wide enough for I would and that is that we you know different uh, limitations within the confines of, you know the 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 width of the street mm -hmm. is definitely something you know as part of the review and looking at you know there's various widths along that 7th street corridor and and let's just say in and uh, several of these streets so like north 7th 8th 9th um you know they're up to 20 foot you know 17 to 20 foot width um there's physically not enough room to be able to paint a, a separate bike lane um uh, on the width of a street like mm -hmm. that, um, so that would not be part of the recommendation because it, it just the width is not there to be able to um, incorporate. Right, because my experience on Seventh Street has been the traffic travels probably significantly higher than thirty miles an hour <laughs> a lot of times, and uh, um, yeah, so whether a Shero will get what we need out of that, I'm not sure, but uh, better than n nothing at all. 
I actually had a question about that. I've never looked into what the effect of sharrows are. I have no idea. I mean, mm-hmm. do they increase safety? Do they improve bike ridership? Do they help warn cars and slow them down? I have no clue. I've never looked at the yeah. data. Part of the problem, I think, is that people, drivers, and I mean, even cyclists don't necessarily know what a Shero is and what what the Chevron means. That's supposed to be the positioning of right. the bike on the road. And a lot of people don't don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Which creates conflicts where if you're following that and somebody behind you is like, get out of the way. Like, yeah, no, this yeah, is legal. Yeah, in some, yeah, in some yeah. roads that are pretty narrow, that puts the bicyclist, and if, if it has parking on one side, it puts the bicyclist pretty much out in the middle of the road. Yeah. And, uh, you know, cars don't understand that that's, that's the placement. So are you thinking that if the Sharrow's not there, it makes it easier for everyone? No. I'm just wondering if Sharrow's don't have much of a return on investment in terms of improving metrics of traffic safety, if it's even worth it to spend money on them if we could spend that money elsewhere. I don't know. I don't even know if they cost a lot. It's just paint, right? But paint costs money. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It's it's all speculative at this point. I mean, as a cyclist, I feel marginally safer with a Sharrow as as not have one you know but you know, there are other options i'd like to have you know that would be better but that that at least raises some awareness but i'm not sure of the i mean the Sharrow hasn't been around all that long i mean i can remember when they were first <laughs> were on a trial basis with with um, um you know the mutcd and and so and i haven't followed the research recently to find out you know whether they've determined what kind of effectiveness they have but i mean i would assume and this is probably just you know too speculative but since they're not used widely in europe that they're probably it's like an american thing like this is the best we can do (laughs) um so yeah that might be it i feel like this is a this is one of those moments where I was like, what would Michael Allman say, right? Because he always has these really strong opinions on, no, a white stripe bike lane is useless. A Shero, I don't know what it's opinion on this. This is honestly, so I don't know where so, Michael's at, but. So the Shero is really what you do when you don't have space for a white stripe lane. Or anything else, yeah. <clears throat> I just worry that this is one of those cases where actually what seems like the solution is worse than the current state. I don't know that answer, but I know that we've heard that a lot on white stripe bike lanes, that apparently it's worse to have that than just don't have that because then it encourages people to be in an unsafe situation. Okay, I can kind of see that. So, I don't know. Um, So when I think about how I taught my daughters to ride, having a mark on the street helped to tell them where they should ride. (laughs) Yeah, if there's a marker. And it wasn't my goal to teach them how to ride on the sidewalk. That Mm -hmm. seemed very dangerous in my opinion. Um, When they're more skilled than getting on a sidewalk is fine. But I think their first attempt on a sidewalk was when a babysitter didn't know any better and she took them out to ride and of course they fell off the edge of the sidewalk and then bumped up their knees and it's just like, that's why the road is better. Mm-hmm. Now, talking about you know residential roads, in my case, um, some of them didn't have any striped lane or sharrows. But yeah. I would say if if the NACTO guidelines are don't do it when the speeds are above 35 or the speed limit is above 35, um, Pat, your comment about, you know, maybe the speed limit is 30, but the actual speeds are higher, mm-hmm. that concerns me. So if people were actually driving on the street at a higher speed than the posted limit, that makes me think maybe we shouldn't put the Shero because 
the guidelines seem to be don't put shares where it might be really high speed traffic. Yeah. Well, uh, would a, would a 30 a mile an hour speed limit it seems like it kind of gets in between our locally adopted guidelines and then the NACTO guidelines. I mean, so, just from a, like a like a psychological nudge perspective, would just the presence of the image of a bike painted really big on the street cause a driver to think that a bike might be present, whether it's present or not, and possibly nudge behavior to make them slow a little bit, considering that? It's just entering, it's, it's putting an idea into the mind of the driver mm -hmm. that this may exist. Where, I mean, 7th Street, you're coming off the highway, you're coming into North Lawrence, you're just going. And it's, it is very narrow. So I, I would be concerned as a cyclist. But I'm sure those people don't even think that a cyclist would ever be present until the idea was introduced. So, I mean, but that's I, I think that's partly why it's a just justified. Sure. But sure. We get into this whole, you know, if it's going to be comfortable and encourage more riders, um, is it implied that it's safe? And maybe it's not. Which is like a lawman's getting at, basically, you know? right? Like it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel safer with it, but I know I'm not the kind of rider right. that we're trying to. Yeah. I'm not my in-laws. Bring on board. It's my in-laws who I want to get to ride, and they would if it was safer, and they don't trust those things. Um, so I just did a you know, very quick Google search, like, you know, effect of sharrows on traffic, and a couple of concerning articles have come up that it's probably all based off the same study that everybody's glomming onto, but it's like, sharrows don't help, apparently. This is seven years old, so who knows if it's changed. Um, the data's probably changed quite a bit, but sounds like what the Dutch say is that you should only use them in tandem with other traffic calming measures. Like, they're not good on their own. Apparently, putting them alone would be considered unethical. That's a very Dutch way to say it, like, black and white. <laughs> so <laughs> there's no gray area whatsoever. Um, I'm thinking, though, I mean, there might be other options, right? So I know you guys can't change the geometry of the road. You're stuck with the curb to curb. You can't change the minimum width of the lanes. And even if you could, there may not be enough room left for anything else. What we could do is change where the stripes go and the speed limit sign. Is there a way to change a 30 to a 25 like we did all over the city? Or perhaps is there a way to do, I wish I knew what this thing was called, Yield Street perhaps? Where there's like a center back and forth lane of travel and two bike lanes off on the side where cars generally travel in the center unless they got to go around each other. Mm -hmm. um, that was actually proposed as part of the T2050 maybe? Jessica did a, a bit of a study on like, like visual preference surveys like, do you like this? Most people said no because most people have never seen that. But they work wonderfully well in the Netherlands, especially in more rural areas that look a lot like North Lawrence. Um, granted, the Dutch know what they're doing with driving and biking, so a little different. So I don't know. Uh, I guess, Steve, I'd put it back to you. Is it possible to do something a little different? Can we change the speed limit sign? Can we? Um, maybe that's a Dave question, too, right? Well, this, just changing the speed limit sign is not going to change the behavior of traffic. So why did we speaking. all over town, then, if we knew they weren't going to? We, we did that on residential streets. Um, these streets are collector streets, so there's, that's why they've stayed signed 30 miles per hour. Um, so I don't think that would not have an impact on whether or not we put sharrows in. <clears throat> is it the NACTO guidance, it's preferred 25 miles per hour or under. Mm -hmm. um, but it gives you the potential at 35 miles per hour or under. And so be, being that it's currently 30 miles an hour, um, I don't see the benefit of reducing the speed limit uh, on those collector streets. Uh, if I may, not all collector streets are 
created equally, right? Like some are wide, straight, flat, really good condition, and some mm -hmm. are, are Lion Street, which is like kind of funky, kind of a rural road. Like, I mean, it's going to be nice, but currently it's like, it's small, it's got no curbs right now. Is it gonna have curbs eventually? Is that part of the plan? I don't know. It is not, no. Okay. So like, a street like Lion's a little different. Like it's, North Lawrence really is an animal. Um, and since there are, I don't think this one, yeah, this has drainage ditches on the side and everything. Like, it's a pretty small collector street. It's not even striped. So, I mean, if you ask the average person to compare this and a collector street like 19, is that a collector or is that an arterial? Well, what's another collector street? Uh, fifth? Uh, i trying to compare it to something that, that like, is clearly oh, yeah, Harvard. It's location. It takes you right out of town. Mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it feels like a, quite a different street than Fifth Street. Um, they both go through neighborhoods, though. And they're both thin. In uh, fact, Fifth, fifth I mean, Street Seventh is Street, I wouldn't see Seventh Street as... Oh, you're talking about Seventh. I was talking about Lion. Oh, Lion. Yeah, Lion's, yeah. Yeah, Lion's different than Seventh Street. Street. Okay, let me look at Seventh Street. I mean, seventh Street is one a, that is you a get on and you just kind of take off. I mean, if you're leaving town, <laughs> you're going to... Yeah. You're not going to feel... Unless there's cars there, <clears throat> you're not going to... So like, you keep going north and you're going to see it just becomes, you know, you're on the edge of town. It's like, this is a pretty skinny street. This is maybe 22 feet pavement. To Currently, pavement. it does not have sheroes. No, it doesn't. It, it, it doesn't have anything. <laughs> it just, it has yeah, the street, the street widths are on that table on, oh, on the attachment. So they vary between, on 7th Street, it varies between, I think, 17... Uh, 17, 17 to 20 feet, which is a really narrow street. That's that's like generally, the, you know, we see the narrower the streets, the narrower the lanes, the slower that traffic generally goes. Right. Mm -hmm. So. I mean, that's. But but they are, for collector streets, they are very they are low volume. Seventh um, Street, 1,700 vehicles per day is a pretty low volume collector street. Um, so, you know, given the conditions of the volume, the speed, the characteristics of the street, we uh, ultimately would recommend to put in the Sharrows. I feel like this is one of the streets that's maybe a prime candidate for one of those yield streets because it's not a lot of traffic, which means that it would probably function that way. The sort of built environment is exactly the one that you would typically use for a yield street, and I'm probably using that name wrong, but... Do you guys know what I'm talking so, about? Should I bring a picture of it? I think it's the one where basically there's a single lane, stripes on the edge, so it looks like Precisely. shoulders. Yep. And you drive down the center. Yep. Unless there's cars. And then you get around. And the, the shoulders are dash lines. Yeah, so yeah. it's like self-traffic coming because you have to get look out for the cars. I just don't know if our community's ready for that. <laughs> you know, like, so really right, the is, a, they'll figure it out quickly. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start doing chicken. Oh. I have a quick question for Stephen. Um, on the table, it um, I know there's an overlay between the the maintenance, the street maintenance, and when you look at the the bike plan, is it though that were these originally like these streets that you're considering were they originally designed to have the shared use or the sharrows on them or is this a different direction that you guys were planning to take perhaps that it, the bikeway would change in the future the the locations that we're planning on doing the work but essentially we just took um 
we already had like the streets that we we're planning on doing and then we took the bikeway map and overlapped that with it, you know, in terms of these layers and just to see where these future bikeways uh, overlap our existing facilities, even, uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, Wakarusa, we have a middle overlay curb and gutter uh, work that's planned there, but it already has a shared use path facility along the corridor. So I take what the, you know, the existing uh, condition is, you know, plug it in the matrix tool. You know, if it says that it's already a uh, level of comfort of one and, and it's going to, you know, we're not changing that type of facility um, and then it remains, a, you know, a level of comfort of one. I mean, I, I guess I'm not sure exactly what you're asking in terms of you know the planning with the, the street maintenance versus whether or not they're existing or future uh, bikeway facilities. Well, I guess my question is, was it on the big plan always? Was the plan always to have these be sharrows? I can't really tell. I'm looking at the bike plan, or are these so the, modifications to the bike plan? Getting clear whether. The facility's already been predetermined. The answer is no. Yeah, the answer would be no. Thank you. <laughs> okay. That's where our role and staff come into play. Mm-hmm. The maintenance tells them what's available. So, so Stephen, uh, I'm curious, as far as signage to make motorists aware of bikes, to make it feel safer for a cyclist, what other options exist besides the sharrows that you, you know to be effective? That serve that same purpose. Uh, besides, like a bike route sign, like share, that share the road. I mean, are, are there what other stuff has worked well? David, well, we we have some signage on bike routes. I don't, it, you know, I don't know how to quantify how it's quantifiable. Like works well. It's probably just subjective to how you feel comfortable on the street. So I don't know if we have any data to say, well, this has worked well or not worked well. Mm -hmm. um, but we've, you know, over time we've built the bike, some of the bike network through street maintenance to make these uh, improvements that are just, uh, they're temporary in nature that if there's ever a bigger, larger project that improves the street, we would upgrade the facility mm -hmm. to something that's better than just like sharrows or signage, but um, that would take a lot of time and money to do that. So, um, you know, I think we, through the bike plan, we do get feedback from the community and surveys about, um, you know, what they want to see. And I know that sharrows aren't really very popular, but it's, you know, what we've heard in past, in the past is that it's better than not doing anything. So we'll be revisiting the bike plan next year with the MPO. It'll be revised so that conversation, will, I'm sure, will continue. Okay. And I see the, the traffic count. Is that taken with one of those devices that goes across the street and cars run over it? And it how, how do you get that? It's either I, I, I utilize both like accounts, uh, past city counts or KDOT. Uh, provided city council and there's a map um, that's available through the you know, website on like prior traffic counts that have actually been taken by the state um, and uh, on ones that we have and I do that that comparison um, when when um, 
including it in the table and in the essentially in the matrix tool mm -hmm. um, and try to make those uh, uh, determinations of you know yeah I got one residential street that's shown you know 500 uh, vehicle counts the assumption could be that it's going to be of similar types of counts that are adjacent to it so um, and typically less than 1500 is one of those threshold uh, counts on there and you can see that in the table that's what I utilized um, because the assumption at that point is is that on this particular residential street, you know, the, uh, that's adjoining, you know, another one is like at 700 or less. So I use that less than 1,500. I tried to make the best determination um, with that. But yes, counts would be like either like automatic type of uh, detection or, you know, physical counts made by a person, you know, making counts at an intersection. So if I don't think there's even... Uh, other methods off of cameras. Yeah, we've got new as well, cameras so. that take counts. I, I can't help but think that, uh, you know, I've heard in urban planning sometimes, like, if you want to know where to put the sidewalk, <clears throat> just look where people are already walking. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and then the just pave trails, it. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I wonder, as far as making a bike uh, path or, or prioritizing a certain place for bikes, do we have a way to know what uh, roads are being used frequently by cyclists already just because it's kind of like the right the, the thing that makes sense for a cyclist to use you know because we have counts of cars do we have, is, is there a way to gather information to know how many bikes are using that particular road when the metropolitan planning organization does its bike planning every five years <coughs> they'll bring data like that help gauge like where the demand for uh, you know, bikeways exists, cool. and every time it gets better and better. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, awesome. it's a five-year cycle. Yeah. And if we look back 15 years, it, it's a we've gotten light years ahead. So I'm excited that we're going to see this that plan um, get updated next year. I don't know if they've got you know better data, but I'm assuming it, like everything they do, it just gets better. We're looking at getting um, a subscription to, um, I don't know what vendor we would use, but it's called like big data where you can get, they, they get, they use people's cell phone data and it basically it won't give you a, a number, a specific number like, oh, there's 432 bikes on this road, but it'll give you like a heat map, right? So it'll give you a general indication of uh, volumes for vehicles, bicyclists, pedestrians, like heat map type things. And then we've been using that uh, in our models. So, and, and I think some of that will, be, that kind of drives into like what the, for the bike plan, what the routes are. Mm -hmm. And obviously we get public comment as well. So we'll be going through that exercise with the revision of the bike plan next year. Mm -hmm. um, so if it's, you know, we have conversations on whether the bike routes, for instance, on Elm versus Locust, those are things that we would have the conversation at with the bike plan. Strava publishes a heat map that shows um, mm -hmm. where people are riding that use that app That's to cool. track their rides. And yeah, a lot of that data, MP, the MPO brings it to the um, to their planning work every time they do it. So um, you just gave me the number one reason to sign up for Strava. That was it. <laughs> well, I, I needed that. Strava. I mean, that's just one vendor, but I think the MPO that that process, if you haven't been part of it, um, typically the MPO will 
seek uh, representation from this commission to be on their plans mm -hmm. or planning work. So if you're interested, that would be a great way to learn more about their work. Mm -hmm. They do the whole county. So they'll spend plenty of effort on Lawrence, but. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the bike plan's specific to Lawrence now. Oh, okay. It's the Lawrence bike plan. So the one, they have, there's a county bike plan as well. It got updated last year or this year. So the one next but year will just be the Lawrence? It, the Lawrence, yeah, Lawrence better. bikes plan, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, just uh, there are automated bike or bike and ped count devices that some other cities use. I've seen them on like the Indianapolis Cultural Trail. They're um, they do have. I don't know the mechanics of them, but they are available. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> okay. All right. So I think we're still back to that main question of what to do about sharers versus speed. Um, I feel like we have a couple of options here. For one is just, you know, say, yeah, we can do these on, on 25 mile an hour and 30 mile an hour streets. Um, the other one is just don't do them at all. And honestly, the more articles I'm kind of trawling through here on Google, it's not looking good for sheriffs, guys. <laughs> it's like a lot of studies have said not only are they possibly useless, but they might actually be worse in some cases because people don't know how to use them. And it makes it more dangerous for riders. Well, so except like, that I just pulled up one, you know, that well, it's from bicycling earlier mm -hmm. earlier this year, and it just says, you know, use them in the right, you know, in the right circumstances, and yeah. you know, and 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 then this one, it's you know, talking about the 30 to 35 mile an hour is still an acceptable, um, you know, probably the combination of of that speed and then lower um, traffic counts probably make it more desirable than you know the 35 plus high you know high high count so um, I mean 7th Street is a route that you know bike groups use to go out of town you know both gravel to the gravel routes and also you know heading towards Linwood and those kinds of things so that is that road is used quite a lot for for cyclists so that's why I think it'd be fine to include them if it is on yeah. an identified bike route yeah, I feel like that. At least yeah. it's wayfinding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it I, wasn't on like an identified router, mm -hmm. then I'd probably be, be against it. But mm -hmm. yeah. It yeah. also looks like in each case, the level of comfort <coughs> score goes down, which is a good thing, if the shared lane marking is added. Right. So the goal is three and lower. Nothing down is yeah. better. It looks like from the table you've presented, it either stays the same or it gets better mm -hmm. by adding the share. Right. I mean, there's probably some more to that metric than we can see here. There's probably like, okay, how does it get better, right? Like, what exact metrics feed into this index of level of comfort? And like, how are they objective or subjective? And do we really know anything about it? Or just like, oh, I'll just assume that that, be that becomes a three versus a one, you know? I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty algorithmic. I hope so. At this point. What source is it from? Is it NACTO, METCD, Bike for People? Where does this level of comfort come from? Morning Journey the Company. Yeah, the level of comfort's in our bike plan. Okay. Was, yeah. um, this is our thing. Yeah. But the 
But it comes speed from then the comes from our act. policy, yeah. right? Because an act of speed is different than our right. policy speed. Well, in our policy, it's, it's a recommended, when we had the discussion of the bike pad design, if that's what you're talking about, the, re the recommended was 25 and under, which is the same as the preferred NACTO. Um, and that's even, and that's even, that tape wall is even in our bike plan. So the preferred NACTO level for shares is 25 and under, and I think under 5,000 vehicles per day, where the you can use it is 35 and under, and under 10,000 vehicles per day. Hmm. I mean, for what it's worth, I think that like the streets that are already narrow, that are already low traffic volume, are the most comfortable streets for cyclists to ride on. I think it's probably negligible whether their shadows applied to them or not. I, I, I think I would have concerns about, or I do have concerns about putting shadows on high volume wide streets because I don't want to encourage cyclists to travel on them, quite frankly. I mean, in some cases, that's like the best way to get from point A to point B. Like, I feel like one of the big elephants in the room for the bikeway plane is that 6th Street is not on the bikeway plane. You have to go way around to get anywhere you want to go on a destination-rich street because 6th Street itself is not in the bike plan. So it's one of those things where it's like, if you're on a bike, sorry, you're kind of kind of second class around here, right? Like, you have to, you have to go the, the long way to get to what you want to do. Um, so I feel like... <laughs> The collector streets, though they are less amenable to having sharers on them, it, to do useful stuff on a bike, you do have to use collector streets. As someone who's not really a sport biker, but more of a get to where I gotta go biker, collector streets are very useful to me. What do you um, mean that Sixth Street's not on? I mean, it's it isn't. It isn't in the the entire blue line here. No, that part where I used to live. So from basically Pinckney to downtown, all okay. of a sudden it's like, and there's a lot of stuff on that. Right, because we're directing people to Fifth Street. Yeah. That's a that's a whole other conversation, but it's just you know it's one of those things like oh so sure would be nice to go the convenient route that everybody else goes, but no you got to transfer you know well 100 feet north. Give to it a little time. We're gonna have Wisconsin. <laughs> this shared use path on Sixth Street. Mm -hmm. So vast majority of Sixth Street is gonna be pretty good to ride on. People already use that that is the sidewalk as it is. Yeah. So. So as you get closer to downtown, you can't use the sidewalk either. Right. So, <laughs> it's awesome. I think Hillary made a good point, and I think would we would just propose, Hillary, would you propose like removing Sharrows from the, I guess the two wide streets? And so 19th is 27 feet wide, and. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. At, you know, from the list, but Nick brings up a good point about collector streets being really important. Venues. I, I just don't think I would feel safe riding on them, and maybe other people do. The night, the night riding on these, I'm sorry. I, I do ride on some collector streets, but these in particular, sorry. 19th Street wasn't proposed for... It's only, there's only four yeah. streets that have a 30 Yeah, 19th Street is proposed for putting bike lanes back on it. There's oh, bike lanes yeah. on it today. Yeah. Yeah. So on page three of the report, there's a table... Mm -hmm. um, that has all of the streets, the characteristics, the widths. <clears throat> so 19th Street, which is 27 feet wide, um, 
has two travel lanes and two bike lanes and we are milling and overlaying it or recommending just to put the bike lanes back as they are today. Um, so really it's the second row, Dole Drive. Dole, so I That's 30. And in the notes says include marked shared lane. Because the mm -hmm. volume is so low. Yep. It's Dole a collector. It's a dead end. So you got Dole Drive, which is a collector. Lion Street, which is a collector. Elm is a residential. Seventh is a collector. Eighth is a residential. And ninth is a both residential and collector. So all of those <clears throat> streets, the recommendations to put to use Sharrows. Just out of curiosity, what makes Dole Street a dead end, a collector that only goes to residential neighborhoods, but then something like, say, 4th Street or 5th is a residential, but it can easily collect from the entire grid that it's connected to? It seems kind of arbitrary, honestly. Like, why not just make Dole a residential street, make it 25 miles an hour because it's in a neighborhood, so and then put shares on it, right? That, it, is that urban form, though? Yeah. That is a collector street. I mean, it has to be, but so is it in a grid, right? In a grid, everything's a collector street, technically speaking, right? That's how grids work. So, I mean, if that's the def like, if we're using the dictionary definition, it seems kind of arbitrary. But if it's a speed well, limit definition, then we can just lower the speed limit, like we probably should here. I mean, definitely a grid system, what's considered a collector is a lot different than what you see on the west side of Lawrence. Right. But I mean, realistically, if you were driving down Dole Street, I mean, it's got the same general form as everything to the side of it. It's, you know, it's wide, suburban, curvy, doesn't have any streets anywhere near it, no lines whatsoever. I mean, it, it looks the exact same, right? Except for the places where it gets slightly wider for no good reason. Um, why not just make it a residential street, slap a 25 mile an hour speed limit? It has traffic coming on already. I don't know. I, it just seems like we're arbitrary, like, preventing ourselves from doing stuff that would be maybe a benefit to people living there, you know? Yeah, the streets are designated through the transportation plan. Yeah. Um, Dole Drive is a street that connects to an arterial and has local streets connect to it, and it's planned to extend further to the north. So um, that's why it's a collector street. So because it's a collector, because we called it that, we can't do anything less than 30 miles an hour on it, essentially? Like, is that the restriction that being a collector street sets you up for? Like, you just can't, can't go lower than 30 mile an hour speed limits on it? Not without a traffic study. Yeah. But as a policy across the whole community? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we have any collectors that are 25. And, like, just signing it, <coughs> you know, necessarily mean you're going to get lower speeds. But, um, yeah, we haven't, we haven't looked at lowering speed limits on collectors. And, uh, yeah. So in the context of this uh, item and, and the recommendation, it wouldn't change our, you know, whether it's 25 or 30, whether it's a residential or collector with the volumes that are on it and the width of the street, it would be the same recommendation. Yeah, I guess at 875 traffic counts a day, it's not, con not really collecting that much of anything. That's pretty low. It's only 23 feet wide. Yeah. yeah. Seems like it'd be probably fine for Sheros, honestly. Yeah. I'm comfortable with Sheros on each of these. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, me too. 
So is there a legal reason that we can't do a yield street? Like, is that prohibited by Kansas state law, by our own engineering design standards? Is there a reason that we can't do that? Because I feel like this would be an interesting opportunity to at least try it as a pilot. Like, maybe instead of, instead of the methyl methacrylate paint, use, like, the, the chalk paint that, like, washes away after 20 days or whatever. See if it works, you know? Like, have signs, educate the neighbors, like, this is going to be different. And if it sucks, take it away. And then just repaint it, like, the way you're supposed to in the first place, right? But if it works, like, this is our chance. I know we talked about this at a study session pretty recently. The idea of doing a pilot street. Um, who is it, Boulder or Davis? It's Boulder. Boulder, they have like the pilot street. It's got cool stuff on it, right? It's Folsom. Yeah, Folsom. all the okay. weird stuff shows up on Folsom. Whole town knows. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, <laughs> is there a chance we can do it? Are we, do we have any laws that prevent us from doing it? And if not, is there a possibility to at least do it temporarily and just kind of see what happens, right? Because then there could be something else in our arsenal for the NTMP, for street calming in the future, for figuring out what to do with these things that are like a little bit too fast for sheriffs, but not really wide enough for anything else. I feel that we're kind of missing the opportunity here by not doing them. I think it would take a significant community engagement to introduce something like that. And you'd want the neighborhood to understand what, what you're asking of them and really to be supportive of it. So. so I guess given staff resources, that sounds like that's confined to NTMP then, when those channels are actually open, right? Those channels of direct neighborhood engagement. I, I think personally I'd rather try that. I'm not opposed, there's not a law against the yield street, right? So that's or having advisory bike lanes on the street. That's, Maybe that's super narrow. But I think it would be better to do that on a residential street. I agree. As part of like a neighborhood traffic calling project versus to do it on a collector street, um, which it may set up for confusion and I just have safety concerns about doing that. And then um, you'd have to educate a wider group of people too if it's a collector. But yeah. if it's residential, like that street will probably do we've, it. Right? We know we've had conversations about shared streets on very low volume streets and whether pedestrians could, you know, be on them and have and be safe. But I think there's a lot of community engagement that needs, needs to occur. Charlie mentioned about about implementing something like that. And there'd be a lot of concerns if we if we did that without having a, a few years ago, we looked at that possibility on a safe routes to school route mm -hmm. or um, I think it's What's the school? 18th Street. Yeah, it's a really oh. narrow road, and there's not much right of way. Um, Cordley Elementary, I think. Mm -hmm. And really low volume. It felt like great option. But I, I don't remember whatever happened at it. Um, we routed people the other, a different direction. I'm not totally sure. So some people were walking in the middle of the street anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of like, can we just make that Artificial. a little more Artificial, yeah. clear, like that's the appropriate way? Well, is there, a, is there a street that would be equivalent to Folsom Street in Boulder that is just kind of designated as let's just throw the spaghetti against the wall and see what happens? And kind of I mean, does that street get? Yeah, I don't know anything about this. Oh, it's, it's like commercial. It's, oh, it's wide. Okay. Oh, it's really wide. So it's, like, the, yeah. it's the street that goes right up to CU. It would be it's, like South Mass Street. Hmm. Yeah. That would be a nice uh, opportunity. It would be as wide as South Mass. Yeah. I think we should. And answer. probably with, with approximately the same volume, if, if I was to just guess. Yeah. 
And, and as a resident for 15 years of Boulder, I never got notification of them, oh, hey, we're about to test something. No, it just showed up one day. And you, you just, you're just part of the test. Well, you're part of the test, and, and, and that's the thing. If it's a good idea, you shouldn't need to train everybody on how to use it. It should be intuitive. That's kind of the Dutch method, like less science, more intuition. Right. right, like it's good design. Yeah. Good design. People will just understand. If nobody can figure out, it wasn't a good design, obviously. <laughs> right, right. And if it screws up and everybody gets angry, like this is a stupid idea. Okay, cool. That was our tester road. But everybody knows it's just the tester road. So maybe step one is just determining which road in the town would be an appropriate tester road. And maybe that's all people need to know. Oh, this is the tester road, so it's fine. Weird things are going to happen here. So I'm going to be patient with what happens here. But if it's tested all around town, I could see people getting grumpy. Well, Dave, it sounds like you might be open to the idea that, like you said, there's no law that prevents it. It's not like one of those things where like, the street can only be so narrow because of NFPA or you know, because of a collector street designation. It sounds like this one truly is kind of, it could happen, right? Um, do we have the kind of paint that could be just temporary? I've heard of this like chalk-based paint or something. And would it be possible to at least try one of these on one of the really low volume residential streets where shares are proposed, like say... Wouldn't there be that temporary no. striping tape? Um, we have temporary tape. That's a one lane. But um, I don't think we... I don't have the um, ability tonight to make a decision to do that on any of these streets. I think it would be good conversation to continue to have as we go into the bike plan next year. Um, to see if there's a good, if there's community support to, to do that, and if we can find a street to do, to implement that on. But um, I can't tell you tonight that one of these is a good candidate for that. And it, we need to have a lot of community engagement before we did that. So okay. I'd rather focus on uh, getting our neighborhood traffic management program, our efforts getting that back going again get an application out, which we're going to be talking about next month, but uh, um, yeah, so I think it's a good good thought, I mean, and I'm open to trying things as long as we're doing it in a manner where it's very thoughtful and we're considering safety and, um, and uh, having good community input and engagement before we do something that's different. It seems like the NTMP would be mm -hmm. the ideal setting to, to consider something like that to add that as one of the one of the options in a toolkit you know for for neighborhoods to to, to look at as a, as a possibility yeah I mean as much as I want to do stuff now because there's not really any cost implement it, it would be good to not make sure we don't have another first generation traffic calming in Elvis Lawrence where it's like, okay, since there wasn't enough communication up front, people freaked out. Mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe we do need it, you know, maybe it's just a very engagement-centered city and we just have to be very careful about doing anything different. It just blows people's minds. So, yeah. All right. I think what you raised for me is often we're stuck in this position where we wonder where would be the best place to try something? Mm -hmm. And Look, we never asked, we never get the answer to that. And when, too. I think we now have the when. We don't know where the where is going to be because that hasn't happened yet. But I just wonder how, how that could be more systematic. You know, the, what I think about just looking at pictures of the 
advisory shoulders and bike lanes. Like I'm thinking of Barker neighborhood and I think Lennard is one of the streets okay. that really is problematic. They can't add sidewalks because it would really mess up their stormwater drainage. Yeah. So then you're thinking people drive or have to walk on the side of the road anyway. Sucks. So but then would it work or would people just keep driving super fast because that's what they do on that road as long as so fast you can drive if the lanes indicate you're supposed to drive in the center and somebody's coming up like we'll have to figure out something guess we juke right right <laughs> <laughs> you would assume that people would do that but i don't know but you'd really want that neighborhood to feel like they get it because they're going to be on that road more than anybody and although they have a lot of cut through traffic so yeah so how how do we I mean, Charlie's got a point, right? Like, how do we initiate these, these kind of ideas outside of the structure of the NTMP, the bikeway plan? Like, things that are long and big, and honestly, we're probably going to forget this by the time well, we get there, right? Here's where it seems dangerous, because we could sit here around this table and throw all kinds of ideas out there that make sense. And the bike boulevards were one of those ideas years ago. And then we try it on 21st Street. You talk to people now, they'll tell you that didn't work out. So it's easy to think this might work. And for whatever reason, you know, it doesn't seem like it always works out as we imagine. Especially if you stick with the first draft and don't change it up three or four times like they did in Old West Lawrence, right? Like they changed that one a lot to finally get community. Yeah, that's mind. a good point. Like Boulevard, not really. It was like, all right, we'll take away the diverter and that's it, you know. It was still watered down, but. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like they went through multiple iterations Which of it. Which gets back to the need for community engagement. For it to be successful, we've got to be really, maybe more tuned in. But how do you find the places that are willing to be experimental? Exactly. And I feel like this is getting existential here, but like sometimes what is good for people's safety is annoying for their perceived convenience, right? And nobody's going to voluntarily give up parking spaces, lower their own speed limits, narrow their lanes. Nobody's going to willingly do that. And if we want to make progress on the Climate Action Plan or T2050, right, there might have to be some things that might be uncomfortable to people. And I, I, I know community engagement is important, but like, if you ask people what they want, it's not going to be this, ever. It's always going to be more roads, more parking. They'll say they want biking, but when it comes down to like the physical thing that changes it, nah. It, it's... I don't quite agree with you. I think if you have... <laughs> I mean, I... Parker just keeps coming to mind because there was a time when they were really engaged in they had the AARP doing a project in their neighborhood trying to figure out how to make it more walkable and bikeable. And they just struggled with they didn't you know, the city is not handing out money to do all those improvements. Mm -hmm. But they worked on developing a plan and you know, now we have a neighborhood traffic management program mm -hmm. that does have some funds. Yeah. So now they're not as organized maybe as they were back then so well, like it's one neighborhood at a time i think for a year I, and a half at you now to stretch right like we're never going to get to all the neighborhoods in town at this rate right no, that's which true. is why it's like how can we do these just small things here and there like what steve's been presenting us with the, the shares right like these are small improvements that we can do all over town but if we can be more systematic about it then we can maybe bring more from the system which is kind of where this is but like how can we continually improve right so the question would be how do we take the annual street maintenance plan and in increase the amount of community engagement so that we're not sitting in an ivory tower saying, oh yeah, yeah. North Florence is going to get it. 
Yeah. Advisory shoulder on 7th Street. I mean, or at least the amount of tools in a toolbox. And to increase the amount of tools in a toolbox, that's where the engagement probably comes in, to at least tell people what it could be, right? So... But people don't even know what Sharos are, for the most part. I mean, Sean, I, didn't you say you're kind of new to Sharos? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm three days in. And you're like, you're a biker who lived in Boulder, so like, if anybody would have oh. known. So right? maybe the, so the like, good news is, uh, thanks to the great work of staff, we now see, potentially, what's available not just next year, but four more years out. So we talk about community engagement. You gotta, you yeah. gotta really get ahead of the game. Yeah, that's true. And maybe now we could take some time to look at the 25, 26 years and like think that. about how do we get ahead of that? Let that neighborhood know. You know, like North Lawrence looks like it's gonna get work for the next couple of years. You know, when I'm turning the layers off here. So. 7th Street's queued up for next year, but then, you know, is there another street that might be a, might make sense for a more creative solution? Yes. It's not in 2024's plan, but is in 25 or 26 or 27. I think that's the right idea. I know you're, you know, this is the first effort to do it and it could change, but at least it gives you a way to say, did you know? Yeah. You know, in three years, your neighborhood is going to have some street maintenance. Yeah. Potentially, and maybe we're going to talk about that now. I think it's a really good plan. But do what we can with the tools we have now. Don't try to develop tools on the fly to deal with stuff that is a clear and present need. But now that we have the five-year five -year plan, let's get a study session on the books and sit down and really do what we're doing now, but without having Steve have to wait for us to d debate existential <laughs> issues on traffic calming and bike lanes. So um, I think that's a really good idea, and I would like to put that as a study session coming up soon because now we have this, which is great. And now we've kind of broken the ice a little bit of like, what do we want to see, right? Do we want to see shares? Can we do better? Can we do yield streets? Well, community engagement is needed to make our plan all work. Um, so I kind of wonder, yeah. Steve, this is a question for you. So when, when you're doing the... I, what I heard earlier is you, you know, aspiration is to have a 70 PCI, but to do that would take a lot more funding. So you're obviously making some choices around where to invest in the street maintenance. Is that, is there a, a way to use that with a sort of neighborhood traffic management um, perspective where you're thinking of this entire neighborhood is going to get kind of addressed in one particular year or maybe over two years so they can be kind of integrated into our community engagement strategy? I would think just in, in general terms, you know, big picture, we're, we're looking at it as being a future collaborative type of tool where we can incorporate and overlap, say, like our, you know, the, I was talking before you know, about corridors and doing, if we have sanitary sewer or, you know, uh, storm sewer, um, you know, things, you know, water line rehab, you know, and start looking at where these things start to truly overlap and have these future plans to address all these type of items, which might be, you know, you know transit facilities facilities or you know bikeway facilities you know to come and, uh, and and collaborate with these various projects and you know coming in one thing and go in there you know impact the area once get it all taken care of and move out you know a corridor concept so yes I think this you know this is just one of the tools um, that we could use you know as a planning tool in the future uh, to incorporate other items into a project potentially so 
I mean, what you're thinking right now and using it moving forward, that's really the goal of why we're trying to get a five-year program out there so we can, you know, from other departments or divisions and, uh, you know, commission, you know, groups that we could uh, start making some of those uh, uh, planning goals and try to make that a kind of incorporation. Well, thanks for getting it, getting it out there. Yeah, it's been it's been ongoing. Yes, uh, I appreciate it as well. It's, a, it's like it's been a little bit of a struggle, but we've been yeah getting there, just having the time and be able to focus down and trying to get something out there. I mean, it'll be ongoing maintenance with the map and yeah. so forth. You know, as years change, priorities change. You know, collaborative work mm -hmm. uh, occurs. So, and I think it's up yeah. to us to figure out how to use it correctly. So I think what you're yeah. saying, like use use the advance notice to think about it ahead of time instead of like we're doing right now, so. Well, even like the neighborhood man, uh, traffic management program, like when you're trying to bring a neighborhood into the, what I remember hearing was they wanted a lot more data. Yes. And so not just data, but the plans, right? Because if, if people haven't learned about all the planning that goes on in this community, yeah. that would be a chance to learn it and then they discover there's street maintenance going to happen in their neighborhood in the next few years. That's just one more piece of the puzzle. So I guess what I'm saying is, I, given the tools we have right now and the lack of the ability to do all this testing and public engagement and all that stuff, whatever you guys want to share with us is fine. Um, what I did want to address though real quick, if it, it's another one of those questions of like, are we allowed to do this? On 19th Street, Obviously, protected bike lane is probably preferred to uh, white stripe. We don't have the room to do that. There's just not enough concrete there, basically. That being said, one of the problems identified with white stripe bike lanes is just like cars drifting across it because they're, you know, like some people I know drive a little bit too far to the right in their lanes. Um, is there a way to not do a fully protected bike lane, but maybe put bollards or even something as simple as just like those highway rumble strips that tell you when you're going to run off the road and coincide that with the white line? So. Even if you're not maybe paying super attention, you'll be jolted away very quickly. Once <coughs> you hear the rumble strips, like, oh, that was wrong. Um, you know, just one tiny extra layer of protection to the bikers. And while you're adding the concrete, like, that would be the time, right? Just notch that in there. Yeah, I'm not sure if that is a specific tool no. uh, that we would be utilizing. I mean, it, there'd be something that could impact the bike rider as well. Yeah. You gotta keep and that in mind. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and 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 the noise you know with that but uh um i mean in terms of like the tools that we're currently utilizing it is it's like a conventional bike lane a buffered bike lane where there's you know uh, you know the a horizontal difference there or a protected bike lane which would you know have a vertical and a horizontal component but not necessarily um, um but that would be more like a barrier type i believe um and that all takes you know, geometric, you know, just width, you know, street to be able to fit these uh, in there and have a minimum um, you know, lane and also for, you know, the bike rider. Okay, so if I hear you correctly, so it sounds like we can't do that because concerns but not necessarily laws against doing it, is that right? Like, it's not I, ever done before necessarily? Um, I don't know if that is a you know defined. I'm I'm looking at the elements that are within our you know bikeway plan or the bike plan, the elements that are uh, available for use. And now if there's something you know proposed in the future, the other elements like you're saying you know, um, 
like a test or a pilot location, you know, that's something to consider and moving forward, see what other elements have been Im implemented elsewhere and have seemed to work and what have you. But I, I don't know about uh, anything specific in terms of a uh, bollard or, you know, an obstacle that, you know, um, besides, you know, an actual barrier type or ones that have, I guess, seem to be proven and that's why they're in the, you know, the bike plan and that used as a specific tools, you know, when you have the different widths and when you don't have the widths, you know, do you provide a shero, you know, to give some kind of indication, you know, it's a, a reminder that this is a share of the road situation, you know, plant the seed, I think, is, you know, is kind of being described. So what I, I think you're like the dream, the dream would be kind of like baseline in boulders quite wide. They just recently introduced very, very tall curbs mm -hmm. to separate the bike lane from the traffic of the vehicles. Mm -hmm. So, so in lieu of a bollard or, or rumble strip, it's, it's actually like a, it's, it's a divider mm -hmm. and it looks almost like a, a parking bumper. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But it's, it's taller. And, and they're common in Europe. That's where they got the idea. I think I've seen so them in New York, too. They recently installed those. I mean, this has been within the last year yeah, on Baseline Road. So, And they had experimented with the tall uh, plastic, skinny, high-vis dividers yeah. originally. This is a visibility thing, at least, right? They just needed to maintain them too much, you know, because people would accidentally veer off and smack a few. So it, it just got annoying. So they were like, all right, let's just... You know that this work separating the the bike traffic from the main vehicle traffic. So let's let's put in something like that. Hmm. So I've heard here that there is concerns about snow removal, but I think we're getting a tiny snow or this tiny street super. There's something small that either we already got or we're gonna get. It was on a capital improvement plan to be able to clear off shared use paths, but this is way too small for that. It's only three feet wide, right? So <laughs> probably not gonna happen. <laughs> That's like smaller than a golf cart. I'm trying to find these curves. Anyway. All right. Well, in that case, we'll just put this on the list then of things to look at that we shouldn't do right now without thoroughly vetting them or piloting. Oh, I feel like for four years we've been saying stuff like this. We've really got to look into this. Like, we've got to start getting stuff on standards and plans and, you know, ways to actually implement it so that we don't find ourselves in this situation again where it's like, well, cool tool, can't use it, all right? This is the first time we've had a five-year street maintenance plan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's only the what, second year of, of a traffic or neighborhood traffic mm -hmm. management plan. So a lot of things have happened. It just there's always a lot more that you know can be done, but you just feel impatient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a, can one, we just one, do it? One more meeting. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, I look back at my time, and it's we're making huge progress. Yeah. But yeah, you have to have a long. Long range view. Yes, yeah. Could be uh, time for a road trip. Yeah. I'm been. I don't mean to keep. I don't mean to keep bringing Boulder up, but it's a similar size population. It's a comparable size town. Yeah. Yeah. And go see all the fun stuff there. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess in that case, I'm, I'm not hearing any opposition to this as presented, other than ideas for how to proceed going forward. Is that the general consensus here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do we have to vote on something? No, just no, we received. 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 We provided feedback. We have received? 
and we have provided. <laughs> I think a lot of more people, than anyone, maybe. <laughs> a lot of people are providing it to ourselves, frankly, because I, I feel like we need to organize our thoughts and figure out. Like, I guess we could ask. You know, so is that a yes? You, you're, you're. You want to vote? The. Oh yeah, well, we should. Oh yeah. Is there any public comment online? Vote. Keeping us honest. We don't need to mm. vote. Yeah, uh, well, I'm just saying in general. Yeah. Why at night tonight for public comment? Yeah. Maybe Michael's on vacation and older. <clears throat> Sounds good. Okay. Alrighty. Well, in that case, yeah. Um, I think the direction is to proceed as presented, essentially, and we'll just keep talking about this. So, thank you for the presentation, and answering all of our crazy questions. <laughs> You're welcome. Anytime. Okay. Um, that brings us to staff items. Just looking blank, but is there anything spontaneous you got? Nope. Okay. No staff items. Mission items. Uh, do you want to talk more about climate action plan, or how much more you got? Um, I guess that's the draft. Yeah, just that. keep your eyes on the next uh, engagement opportunities. Uh, Jamie is really open. If anyone's interested in like going to those and talking mobility with people at those meetings, she'd be really on board with someone doing that. So. Um, land Development Code Steering Committee update. Big news, things are happening. So um, the updated draft of module one has been re-released. That's the one with all the districts and uses. But more importantly, the first draft of module two has been released and that is like development standards. So things like parking, buffer yards, subdivision standards, landscaping, trees, floodplains, like all the, all the juicy stuff that's not quite as, as wonky as zoning code things. So, um, for our purposes, there's a whole article on mobility and accessibility, which tends to be about how one moves about the site, which is its car, its bike, its you know wheelchair, all sorts of stuff. So the other one is parking. There, um, the big change is that there are no longer going to be minimum parking requirements anywhere. That's the proposal. We'll see how it goes. The way the, the consultant um, proposed it was that we were going to take away minimum parking requirements on commercial mixed use and industrial properties but at a maximum instead, which is pretty radical. And then for uh, residential, it was just to lower the minimum parking requirements, but keep some. So Brad Fingledye recommended that we just get rid of all minimums and just kind of see what happens, right? Like come out swinging, see what the response is, and backtrack if we have to, but you know, see if people care as much as we assume they do. So, and they probably will. But that's, that, that one's going to be pretty interesting. So a lot for a transportation commissioner to look at and digest if you got a boring weekend coming up. It's going to be posted online soon. I don't I feel like I saw there are invitations to upcoming events like coffee breaks and presentations and open houses. It's kind of an interesting variety of meetings. So hopefully you'll be able to go to at least uh, one of those. The next steering committee one's on Thursday. And I think we're going to dig a lot deeper into module two. But generally, I think things are going well. Um, so, yeah. Any questions about code stuff? All right. Um, real quick, Nick. The, I think that module two you can comment on now. Do you know if you can go back and comment on module one at all or no? Um, I haven't looked at the site, actually. So it's possible that they just released it all at once. Um, and if that's the case, then module one is in that document. So they kind of just switched all together. Um, unless you've been following it really, really closely, it'd be hard to tell which articles are one and which ones are, are two. They kind of just flow together. 
So, as it stands, it looks like all the module one things are in here still. Article three, four, five, okay, yep. So everything is still in there. Um, now, the interesting thing is if you, um, the way the consultant was saying they were gonna incorporate comments, it was unclear at first, either that or I just wasn't listening very well. I assume what was gonna happen is that they were gonna take uncontroversial ones and just implement them, the questions asked. But things that required a little bit of a discussion, they were gonna bring back to us and we were gonna go over them. It turns out what they're actually doing is collecting all the comments and just kind of keeping them close. And until all three modules have been released and discussed up front, because they all connect quite a bit, then they're not gonna incorporate any of the stuff that we talked about um, or left a comment on. So if you see something that you commented on that was uncontroversial, that somehow didn't get incorporated, that's why. Because it's possible that once module three comes out, which is the processes, then maybe we'll need to tweak module one all over again, and that comment could be obsolete. So that's why they're not doing anything just yet, um, which to me makes sense. Like, for example, if, if you are allowed to build a duplex on a currently single family lot by right, um, then you know, there's gonna be a lot more scrutiny on what that looks like. Whereas if you're only allowed to do it with special use permit and a long drawn out process and appeals and all that jazz, maybe people don't really care about it because it's gonna be so hard to make that happen that the dimensional standards don't really matter, it's a moot point, right? So I think that's what the consultant and the planning department is waiting to see, like what, <clears throat> what interesting effects are we gonna see of the subsequent modules and how they affect earlier ones before we start adding comments, because otherwise we might have to do it, do it twice. So. so hopefully that made sense, because <laughs> it took me a while to understand it as well. But yeah, I was frustrated when I went through it. I was like, I clearly, you know, this is a very obvious comment, and I had to talk to uh, Jeff Crick, the planning director, to actually sort me out and be like, no, no, it, it all makes sense in due time. So, <laughs> so. You won't see revisions until the whole package, basically. Pretty much, and, and until the final full draft is released to whoever. So, so that's like May, I think? April? Yeah. Apparently they're actually ahead of schedule by like a couple of weeks. So, good news. Okay, well that's it for development code. Bicycle wayfinding plan. I was out of town, so Hillary, I, were you able to go? Yeah, I was there. They, uh, uh, decided on the preferred concept plan, which was new fashioned uh, at the last meeting. Pat, I think you showed it on the screen. I, I can show it if you want me to um, share screen. Would that be helpful? Uh, can we? Yeah, sure. Sure. If it's, yeah. Quick and mm -hmm. easy. Yeah. Is okay. it enabled right now on Zoom? Let's find out. Um, can you see it now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this was um, there was new fashioned, and then it got the most votes, and then vibrant Lawrence. So um, they went with the new fashioned, which is, I believe, when we last, like I said, last met and talked about this. Um, I think that we all thought this was the perf like that we liked this better. Was that what you guys remember, or yeah, yeah. not? Yeah. Yeah, so um, they're going to use the city's emblem and um, 
continue, you know, with the blue theme. I don't, we had talked about whether to have different colors on different signs. Um, like for example, the green white, should it be green? And the consensus was that, that it should remain blue throughout and that different colors might confuse users. So um, that is the, the update from this, this last meeting. Was there a discussion? I think there was supposed to be discussion about kind of hierarchy of destinations. Um, did that did that come up in the in the meeting? Yeah. So I don't think it was on. Well, yeah. Okay. Here. So there was like a. It's a radii, right, between a first, second, or third destination, and they put together this matrix of um, destinations like. Um, KU, the library, they might be on this list here, if I can go down. Um, yeah, so like Rock Chuck Park, all these that are within these primary first, first sort of, um, I don't know, whatever, sorry, I don't know how to <laughs> articulate this very well. The primary destination, that's all I need to say. And then, um, uh, secondary that should be within that sort of radii that I've also described of parks, rec centers, um, Memorial Hospital here, and, um, and nature preserves. And then they had tertiary as well, which were sort of minor parks. Um, so the idea was that they were going to mark based on kind of that hierarchy um, of destinations. What about destinations like leaving town? We, we talked about Seventh Street. Like, would that yeah. Go ahead. Counter to the goal, or that didn't come up, but it's a really good point. I think I should take that back because I, you know, we talked about what are common destinations, but I, I do think like a lot of I know a lot of gravel riders who do leave town to go access you know, like rural areas to ride. Um, so uh, yeah, that's a great idea, Charlie. Thanks, I'll take that back. I think it goes with Sean, you had mentioned like other signs that you could also put out besides the sheriffs. And if people are leaving town on 7th Street, you know, let's put huh. the signs out there too. It's gonna take you five minutes to get to the edge of town. <laughs> or if you're trying to go to some other destination in the rural part of the community, mm -hmm. how long will it take you to get there on your bike? Mm -hmm. Yep, so, and just so, I think you guys are all aware, there's not funding available right now to actually build the signs and put them up. It's um, making a plan, effectively right now, it's making a plan for when there is available funding, how would this be implemented and what would it look like? Yeah, I would add, um, as part of the scope for the consultant, they're going to design si uh, up to 30 signs on a route. Uh, and I missed mm -hmm. the last meeting, but um, I talked with them today, and I believe that the committee discussed using the Naismith Valley Park route from the Lawrence Loop up to campus as the, so they're going to design they don't know how many signs that would take, but uh, around 30, uh, at least provide the designs. Like, this is the information. This is where they would be at. And then we're going to try to find some funding internally. Hopefully, I can find some money to, to install the signs. Oh, great. Um, hopefully, next year. 
but that's the, that route just to see how it would look. That that's uh, what they're working on, and then they'll take that back to the wayfinding committee. I think at the next meeting. So I see that there's <coughs> thousand. Oh, it's on the unfunded list. But I just answered my question. Yeah. So there is money, but it's unfunded for next year. <laughs> Once right. there's a plan, at least we'll know how much it costs. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. All right, can stop video. All right, don't go too far because you're on for the next one too, which is um, Vision Zero. Has there been any movement on that? No, but I ran into Jessica at the open house on the multimodal improvement um, open house on, on Mass Street. And she said that in the next couple of weeks, she was going to be scheduling a meeting. Dave, you might know more, but I think it's coming shortly. It's coming shortly. Nope. Yeah, I don't think there's a date set yet, but yeah, we're the uh, we have the RFP out for consultant to help, and I think those are being evaluated now. So, cool. And Lawrence Loop, we're gonna skip that one because Commissioner President. Jake's got an update. Oh, cool. Yeah, the the update is that Thursday evening is the first steering committee meeting. Thursday, like this Thursday. This Thursday. That's exciting. Cool. Um, and that would be with the steering committee before the consultancy, right? Because you said the RP is out currently to find a consultant or? Pardon me? We have a consultant. Oh, you do? Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do you say about an RP? That was for the Vision Zero safety action plan. Oh, that's what we're talking about. What's on No, we're, we're talking about the Lawrence Loop. Oh, okay. For that one. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. We've got a lot of steering committees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there isn't even a steering committee for the... 14th and 23rd on Mass Street redesign, um, but that is currently underway because there was that open house recently. Mm -hmm. What is the, I guess, status of that? What are we going to see next? What's the sort of short-range plan there? Yeah, um, so that was a very well-attended public meeting. I think we had about 75 oh. folks is what I heard. Had a lot of great comments, good discussion. Uh, it was just the first meeting where we're just getting input from the neighbors on what they see in the corridor and the next steps, the consultants looking at uh, traffic volumes, um, capacity, also just taking the comments into account to see what you know different possible options are feasible for the corridor and then there will be another meeting. I don't think that date has been set, but um, so yeah, it was, and I know I saw several several of you at the meeting, so I think it was it went really well and got a lot of good feedback. So, did you get a general feeling of what people are thinking about the idea of road diet, or kind of too early to tell? Um, that's too early to tell. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, like coming around to the idea. I, no, I think there's people are. There's definitely um, some folks that are open to, that, to the idea. I mean, we talk, we're talking about the Barker AARP study. That was a component of that study to look at the street and that possibility of lane reconfiguration is what we're calling it instead of a road diet. But uh, it's nice um, to hear that's still got legs. They did. Yeah, someone actually even brought a copy to the meeting. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a long time ago. It was 2015 <laughs> or 14. Yeah. yeah, it's been a while, but. Right. Um, yep. Well, I think that covers all. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I was just gonna back up what Dave was saying. Is like I asked the the um, 
guy from Trek, like, oh, is there going to be a road diet? He said, we don't use that. <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah. It's lane con- reconfiguration. <laughs> I'd like to just um, add into this section of our agenda. Commissioner uh, Reza has his attendance seems um, to be maybe getting to the level where he's considered an involuntary resignation. The bylaws stipulate that if you miss six meetings in a year, in a calendar year, then that's considered an involuntary resignation. If there are four unexcused absences, that's also considered involuntary resignation. And the requirement for it excused absences to notify the chair 24 hours in advance. Mm-hmm. Can we maybe just ask staff to check on his status and if he's getting close, make sure he knows that he's getting precariously close to being involuntarily resigned? We can do that. Yep. He did provide us a notice today, but he may or may not make it due to a last-minute Even thing, the notice, though, it's like yeah. the yeah. rules still... <clears throat> Understand. So. Um, yep. We're also in a position where we're... I mean, we're at eight members now, and I think my understanding is we're not filling positions on boards until the committee on boards structures, until that gets... Um, decided whenever that may be. It'll not be this year. It'll be next year. I thought that went so to I don't the know. city commission for comment of some sort. Was that not an approval? Is it just like I don't, I don't think it's been approved yet. Okay. Yeah, because then but, everything's different. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, so I'll reach out to Commissioner Reza and make sure he's aware of where his standing. Yeah, our quorum is five. Mm-hmm. You're gonna lose me. You can't fill spots. Yeah. If you can't fill a spot. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully they act quickly. I mean, yeah. Maybe they'll fill the positions. I don't know. I, I, I thought it was going to happen soon. Yeah. By the end of the year, but I don't, I don't, I don't have any update on timing for it. But. Um, All right. Shall we move on to cal- calendar then? What's on calendar? Um, all right. So our, our December is pretty much sp- spoken for. Are we, I guess we're probably better positioned to have a retreat this year. So, at December, do we need to decide on the retreat committee? Uh, yeah, on the, we'll have on the regular meeting the uh, 24 calendar. Yeah. And uh, discussion on the, having a retreat. Okay. And then Evan Corienta has, uh, we'll have the draft of the ADA transition plan. So, that's the plan for the study session. Mm-hmm. And then Dustin will be talking about the neighborhood traffic management program revisions on the regular agenda. Okay. So that that's the plan for December. Easy enough. Is there any chance we could get an update from transit? Yes. We got a lot going can, on. It'd be just an email that you can just talk to <clears> yeah. items even. That's that's probably more Adam's speed of this. Point. I know they are getting really Adam's really focused on getting the Central Station open. I think that's planned to be open like by early January, first of January. I was in there uh, last week, took a tour. It's coming along. It's going to be a great facility. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think there's 
looking at continuing the fare free next year as a possibility, and they're still getting data on uh, how that's been going this year. They're getting, he mentioned that they're getting the third quarter uh, usage data or the, the data for how many users uh, for the transit. So uh, I can get with him and um, get get an update. I'm also curious how soon, they're Sunday. Um, I forgot how they're, how they're, what they're calling it, but basically the way they change the maybe it's micro transit. But you can request a ride now mm -hmm. a little differently than what it was. And, mm -hmm. um, transit on demand, I think. Transit on demand. Yeah. Yeah. There's. I mean, they've done mm -hmm. so much this year. It just feels like some point this year it'd be good to get a briefing from them about it. And if the direction that we're headed with the consolidation or changing of the committee structure is going to be kind of putting transit and multimodal together, mm -hmm. why why delay it? Come and talk to us. <laughs> yeah, I'll reach out to him. I know the and he um, the downtown. Uh, Transfer station location public engagement is going to be kicking off early next year, so it might be a good time for him to come give an update on yeah. all that, all that work that's been done in upcoming. I'm sort of anticipating at this point that the way things are moving, that the board merging will probably happen very close to the time that we start tackling the location and like shape and size of the downtown transfer mm -hmm. center, which would be cool because I feel like that is an MMTC thing too because it affects parking and driving and biking and walking. So might be a good first test to see how it all works together. But we'll see when that happens. Okay, so we're probably set, set for December then. Um, just looking ahead, January is when we elect chair and vice chair and decide further stuff in the retreat, I guess. And just use one of these study sessions that we have in, um, in the queue. So should be good for January too. Would retreat be in February or January or either, and we got to decide it? Yeah, well, uh, I think in the past we we had done it in February okay. and or March. Um, it take a little time to put that together. So if we decide on doing that, that would probably be what we shoot for. All right, sounds good. Um, I don't have anything else. Anybody have any closing thoughts? Good. All right. Everybody wants to adjourn. Raise your hand. <laughs> no, <it's> <laughs> Dude, it's different every time. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.